Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham with you on a Wednesday morning. Uh, A lot of ground that we have to cover throughout the course of the show tonight. Um, We will get to the Sixers a little later on. They take care of business in Boston on Tuesday night. And, man, it it is such a joy to see how far the Boston Celtics have fallen. I mean, that organization has uh, completely collapsed on itself over the last, what, eight months? I mean, the, the difference in where the Sixers are right now compared to where the Celtics are right now, um, following that sweep in the bubble, where the Celtics end up going, they did they take the Heat seven in the Eastern Conference Finals? Six? I think it was six game series, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, for for the Celtics to get to that point, that close, bottom out. Now this year they have completely fallen apart. It was comical in that game watching the trio of Robert Williams, uh, Taco Fall, and Luke Cornett try to guard Joel Embiid. I mean, it was just hilarious. And Joel Embiid could do whatever he wanted to in that game. So we'll get to that a little later on. Um, We'll get to some very interesting sound uh, that I was able to find on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, which what is is better than hearing a ball coach talk some ball? And Nick Sirianni sat down for 25 minutes um, with Eagles uh, organization uh, film guru Fran Duffy, who does a really good job, uh, much better than Fran Dumphy, uh, as far as uh, being good at what he does. Um, but uh, Nick Sirianni talking ball and some, uh, he is. I wish Howie had been with him for this breakdown. But Nick Sirianni, you know, I, I, I liked what I heard. I liked what I heard. A lot of enthusiasm from the ball coach. And we'll get to some sound from, uh, from Nick Sirianni later on in the show. Is he going to replace Spurrier as the the ball coach? Uh, Nick Sirianni's our ball coach now. Uh, he's the he's the young ball coach, uh, Nick Sirianni. So we'll get to that later on. Uh, a ton of stuff uh, that we'll we'll get to throughout the course of the show, um, and a, a bunch of Phillies related topics as well. And that's where we're going to start tonight, as the Phillies lose to the Mets eight to four down at Citizens Bank Park, their first loss of the year. Um, uh, my condolences to Glenn Macnow, 
to James Seltzer, to everybody that tweeted uh, on the first day of the season, 162-0, that joke that everybody thought was so so hilarious. Uh, the Phils will not be going 162-0. They will not be going 5-0. They lose their first game of the year and are 4-1 and through 5 this season. And we have some drama from this game that we need to get into. As you look at how everything transpired, much like last night, uh, Phils fall behind 2-0. Dominic Smith, a two-run homer off of Chase Anderson. Phils cut it to one when Didi Gregorius hits a solo shot off Marcus Stroman. A 2-1 ball game through five innings. But some very questionable decisions tonight on behalf of manager Joe Girardi. First, we'll, we'll start with the bottom of the fifth here. Roman Quinn grounds out with one out. We'll get to Roman Quinn later on, which this is just... I, I thought it would take more than five games for me to be finished and not be able to watch Roman Quinn anymore. I'm already done with watching Roman Quinn. I mean, it is it is a joke that this guy is on a major league roster. An absolute joke. But the Phillies, they don't want to don't want to outright him. Somebody might claim Roman Quinn. What would you do if you lose Roman Quinn off waivers? The guy is just absolutely terrible. But we'll get to him later on. Grounds out with one out. Joe Girardi pinch hits for Anderson with Adam Hazley. I mean, kind of an odd spot, I thought. You know, nobody on, not leading off an inning. Anderson had pitched well, but so be it. He was at eight, 80 pitches. You want to move on there. You want to go to somebody from the bullpen. I'm not going to crush Girardi for that. That's an understandable decision. What do you think of that move, Mike, the pinch hitting for Chase Anderson in that spot? Good move. I was not impressed with Anderson. I thought he looked shaky every every frame. So uh, I, I was, you know, five and two runs. I was pleased with what I got, so pull him there. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll give Girardi that. And, you know, that's a move that you could go either way. Uh, 80 pitches, you want to go a different direction, and you want to take a shot, see if you can, you know, get something started with one out in that inning. Uh, I'm okay with that. I'm not going to crush Joe Girardi for that. But where he goes after that, it, it gets a little odd. You know, I might have considered leaving him, but so be it. Vince Velasquez comes in in the sixth. And Vince Velasquez... Very good. Strikes out the first two hitters. Uh, coming up, third batter, uh, final batter of the inning, hopefully. Here's how that sixth inning came to a close. One ball, two strikes. Velasquez ready. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. And Vince Velasquez joins this remade Phillies bullpen, and he strikes out the side in order. Nicely done. I mean, that is a good job from Vince Velasquez. Obviously, you come in the sixth inning, three up, three down. Three strikeouts, that's obviously what you want to see. That is a good job. But then, Joe Girardi gets greedy. He tries to get a second inning from Vince Velasquez. And one thing that we all know about Vince Velasquez, if you watch Vince Velasquez further throughout the course of his career in Philadelphia... You watch Vince Velasquez just last year. I mean, Joe Girardi hasn't been here for the entirety of Velasquez's career, but Joe Girardi was here last year. Joe Girardi's seen Vince Velasquez enough to know that if you get greedy with Vince Velasquez, you will ultimately come to regret it. Yeah, he had that game in Toronto. It burned him badly last year. Yeah, no, and we've seen it throughout his entire career. You know, uh, you, you, 
you try to ride that horse too long, you try to go too deep into that well, and you will come to regret it. You do not get greedy with Vince Velasquez, just like you don't get greedy with Nick Pavetta. That's exactly, I think they're two very comparable guys. And I think it would have been a, a good moment to have Velasquez pitch a sixth inning, three up, three down, get him out of that game, get him feeling confident. Have him feeling good about what he did in the sixth inning of that game. But so be it. If you do send him out for that second second inning, which I would not have done, you must be ready. Like, you must be prepared for an implosion if an implosion ends up coming. You have to be ready to make a change the second it gets dicey. Because Vince Velasquez will fall apart. That's one thing we know. Is that if he surrenders base runners, he's a different pitcher from the stretch than he is in the windup. If he allows guys on base, if he gets under pressure, he is mentally a very fragile guy. And that is not, you know, an unfair thing to say based on all the evidence that we have with Vince Velasquez. As the manager, it is your job to be prepared for that situation. And Joe Girardi was not prepared. Vince Velasquez in those kind of situations will fall apart. He always has, he always does, and he probably always will. This is a 2-1 to game in the seventh inning against the division rival. This is a very winnable ball game for the Phillies at this point. 2-1 to in the seventh inning. They were down 2 to nothing in the eighth inning Monday night. We all remember what happened in that game. They're able to get a rally going, able to come back, win that ball game. It is imperative that you keep that at a one-run game. That you keep this within striking distance. You need to keep that game within reach. You need to have somebody ready for the moment Velasquez gets into trouble. And that inning starts, Velasquez walks not one, not two, but three hitters, loads the bases with nobody warming in the bullpen, nobody ready. I don't believe he didn't start getting Kinsler ready until the bases were loaded, right, Mike? That's when he got Kinsler ready, or was it? I, I believe it was. I believe it was once the bases were loaded, he made the call to get somebody ready. I know this sounds crazy. I don't think he actually had Kinsler get like ready, ready until the run was walked in. Okay, well. Loads of the bases, nobody ready in the pen, nobody warming up. Velasquez remains in, and here was the result. Here's the pitch. Fastball low, ball four, and the Mets have another run. As Vince Velasquez has walked four hitters in the inning, and Guillaume scores. It's 3-1 to one New York. Four walks for Vince Velasquez in the seventh inning. Walks in a run. From there, Kinsler comes in after it's 3-1, to one, but it's too late at that point. It is. Damage already done. Mets blow it open. Some bad defense. A JT Real Muto throw goes off D.D. Gregorius' glove into center field. Bryce Harper bobbles a ball out in right field, and the Mets end up blowing that game open. The damage was already done. But the game was lost when Vince Velasquez remained in. To leave him in that long, in his second inning of work, made absolutely no sense from the manager of the Phillies. And I was very interested to hear how Joe Girardi would explain this after the game. Because 
you know, at first I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to rationalize it. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm thinking, okay, maybe he's trying to save some relievers. But it didn't make sense. And I wanted to hear what Joe Girardi would say after the game. Here was Joe Girardi postgame on why he decided to ride Velasquez as long as he did. Well, the choice are, is, is Vinny or David in, in that situation. And that um, part of the order had been kind of tough to, on David. So I decided to go with Vinny. And after he goes through the sixth. And, and I would have used Vinny probably for the third inning had he went through the seventh. Um, just because of knowing... You know, we have relievers down today. Um, we'll probably have some more down tomorrow that you'd like to have another long guy um, in a sense. And that would have been David Hale for tomorrow. But I don't know if I'll have him now. So it's kind of we had five relievers that I was comfortable using. Didn't really want to use Kinsler for much because of yesterday, the one and two thirds. And, you, and you know, you have to live with that and figure out a way to get through it. Now, that makes no sense to me. Because I went through the bullpen to, you know, really analyze who could have been available for this game. You have options there. You have plenty of options there. There's no reason why you have to ride Vince Velasquez in a one-run game in the seventh inning. Like, we're not talking about the fifth inning here. We're not talking about a middle-inning situation where you're trying to eat up some innings with a long-relief guy to get to your middle-late guys late in the game. This is the seventh inning. That is late innings. That is a high-leverage situation. And the explanation that Joe Girardi uses makes no sense. He ended up using Kinsler, so he was obviously available. You may have not wanted to use him, but he was available. He was an option for you there. The two guys he is without are Alvarado, who he said before the game was unavailable, and likely Coonrod, because he threw two innings the day before. So take it as you're down those two guys. You're down Alvarado, you're down Coomrod. This is the seventh inning. You need nine outs. You don't want to use, you know, David Hale in that spot, as he said, fine. David Hale's another long reliever. I don't know why you need to go with a long reliever in the seventh inning when you have options. You have Kinsler, as I mentioned. Kinsler ultimately ended up coming in. Connor Brogdon, who has looked good in two outings this season, has thrown nine pitches in four days. He had one appearance after opening day. That came on Monday. He threw nine innings in that appearance. Why couldn't Connor Brogdon have been an option in that spot? You have Archie Bradley. He hasn't pitched since Saturday. Why is Archie Bradley not an option in that spot? You have Hector available. Hector Hector did not pitch Monday, so he would be available to you Tuesday. You have, so in the end, you have Brandon Kinsler, you have Connor Brogdon, Archie Bradley, Hector Naris. All better options than Vince Velasquez. Yet for some reason, Joe Girardi is hell-bent on keeping Vince Velasquez in, in a one-run game in the seventh inning when it's clear he is completely imploding. What sense does that make? What are you saving these guys for when we all know this game is over if Vince Velasquez stays in? We all knew he was going to walk in that run. When the bases were loaded, McNeil was up. It was clear. He had no command. It was clear well before that he had lost his command. 
And this is what always happens with Vince Velasquez. And for his own manager, who is supposed to be Mr. Superstar, Mr. Big-time difference-making manager, Joe Girardi. Joe Girardi is going to turn this ship around. He is going to be a, 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 a he is going to make a 10-game difference for the Phillies. It's all I heard coming in here. Joe Girardi did a crappy job last year with this team, and I don't care what excuses people want to make for him. He did a bad job last year. And I don't want to hear about the 60-game season. I don't want to hear about the bullpen. I don't want to hear about anything. He did a, a bad job as manager last year. And he lost the Phillies that game on Tuesday night. Would they have won regardless if he had done things different? No, there's no way to guarantee that. But you would have at least given your team a chance. Joe Girardi took the, took the chance out of his offense's hands. He took the chance to win that game out of his team's hands. This was Joe Girardi deciding, I am going to concede this game. This game in April, the fifth game of the season, isn't important enough to me that I am going to use bullpen guys. And it didn't make any sense. He gave it away. He didn't try to win it. And it was a terrible job by a manager who we have excused in this city for over a year now, and I really don't understand it. Like, I know Joe Girardi has a reputation as a winning manager elsewhere, but he has no credibility built up here. I mean, eight teams made the playoffs in the National League last year. I don't think anybody would would disagree with the fact that the Phillies, even with a bad bullpen on paper, had one of the best eight rosters in the National League last year. They didn't make the playoffs. A lot of that comes on Joe Girardi. Because it wasn't just the bullpen. It was his shifting. It was his lineup choices. The guy did a poor job in 2020. And he gave this game away on Tuesday night. And I'm, I'm wondering, first off, did you agree with Joe Girardi's decision to leave Vince Velasquez in that game? Or do you feel the way I felt? that Joe Girardi decided he was going to concede. He was going to concede and look to tomorrow. And I don't get it based on the situation that you had in this game and based on the situation that you have tomorrow, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. But when are we going to fairly evaluate Joe Girardi's performance? When are we going to stop, you know, just assuming that Joe Girardi is a good manager based on what he did in New York? I don't give a damn what Joe Girardi did in New York. I care about how he is managing the Philadelphia Phillies. And we are now 65 games into the Joe Girardi experience here. And I think he has done a terrible job for a guy who is expected to be a difference-making manager. Some guys are just figureheads. If this, you, know, you know, you have your, your Pete McCannon-type guys who are just your run-of-the-mill managers who will run the clubhouse and make the lineup and they're not going to make a difference either way. Joe Girardi's not supposed to be that guy. Joe Girardi is supposed to be a manager who is going to enhance the play of your team. That is going to make moves that are going to win you games. He's not making moves to win you games. And 65 games in on Joe Girardi in Philadelphia, I don't care what he's done in New York, I don't care what his reputation's been, what he did in Miami, 
His time in Philadelphia has been a failure, and he has done a poor job, and he gave that game away for the Phillies Tuesday night. That game on Tuesday night was a Joe Girardi loss. And he deserves to take heat for it, because we know the previous manager would have. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. I want to know if you're bothered by the way Joe Girardi managed this game. Because I really was. You shouldn't be conceding games. I don't care if it's April, May, July. They all count the same. And that was a winnable game against the division rival that Joe Girardi threw in the, threw in the trash can on Tuesday night. 215-592-9494. Let's get it started with Mark in Northeast Philly. What's up, Mark? You're right. Why do you concede that game? What if your pitcher, your starting pitcher tomorrow, pitches nine innings, shutout innings? I mean, you're going to save that guy for what? Then you're going to save him for the next game well, when it'll probably be fresh anyway? You right, know, and, like, and that that's exactly the point, Mark, is yeah. your pitcher tomorrow is Aaron Nola. Like, what are you saving your <laughs> right. bullpen guys for when you got Aaron Nola going tomorrow? Shows a lot of confidence that Girardi has in Nola, you know, in a way. If you're Nola, maybe you take that as a slight, you know, as you say that. You make sense. Exactly. You know, it's just, it's crazy because, look, I mean, I like the signing of Girardi. I think it's at least it's a, it was a one of the best guys out there. I mean, I'm not too familiar with any of these newer guys or any young guys. But the thing is, I just feel like it's club med for him in a way where it's like, meh. You know, like, uh, it's almost like Tom Hanks in a league of their own where, like, if he wants to show up and coach some games, they might win. But you're going to concede games at the beginning of the season, like you just said. It makes a lot of sense. At the end of the season, when you're looking for a game or two, and you look back on these games, you're going to say, well, and watch Noel go nine innings tomorrow. Watch him go seven innings, something like that tomorrow. You know what I mean? Exactly, Mark. And, and, that's, and that's the thing. Like, you may end up needing these guys tomorrow, but there's a chance that you don't. And if you don't right. need him, need them, you threw this game away Tuesday night for nothing. Because let's face it, yep. we all, we all knew that where that inning was going with Velasquez. Once he walked yeah, the, the first two guys, we knew off. he's done. Yeah. You have it. You listen, you're precise. Even though it's late at night right now, you're precise with what you're saying. The control. Listen, the game just ended a few hours ago, and you're right on the money. His control was gone. You know, I mean, like, it was a pretty, pretty deep run. Six innings, you know, a couple runs. You know, you got to call a spade a spade sometimes. And, and, and like you said, I'm right there with you. I like the cut of your jib tonight. You got me right on the phone because you make a lot of sense. And if the Phillies really wanted to sell me, I was, I was ready to get on board. I was ready to get on board. But now, you know, I put up the, uh, you know, I took a step back here. So, I mean, I'll keep watching them. I'll keep rooting for them. But. Man, your show tonight, you're right on the mo- you're right on the nose, so I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Mark. Like, I appreciate it. Man. All right, thanks, Thank man. You. Appreciate it. I and I like that um I like that phrase, by the way. Mark said he liked the cut of my jib. I like that saying. The cut of your jib. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know what it means, but it's a saying I've always I, I've always liked and I appreciate that. But um yeah, I mean, it, it, this this was a Joe Girardi loss. And if anybody wants to defend this sit the decision, I would love to hear from you. Because it doesn't make any sense. And we'll get into that aspect of it a lot more throughout the course of the night. Um, But it doesn't make any sense why you'd be saving your relievers in this spot when that was a winnable game. I mean, this wasn't the fifth inning. This wasn't early in the ball game. This wasn't a game where you're down three, four runs. You're down one run in the seventh inning. You should be playing that game to win, and I don't understand why Joe Girardi didn't. Let's go to John and Hazleton. What's up, John? I had to call in because I totally agree with you. Savior Joe has been – they put this dude on a pedestal, and, and, and I really believe the reason is because of the, the ridiculous hate for Kapler. In my opinion, that, there's, that anybody in that city, for the most part, is really scared to call this guy out. You're about the only host on here that does call him out. 
Uh, that was horrible watching that game tonight. You knew where it was going, and he's not going to get anybody up. For what reason? And I had the same thought that you, that you did. That he just was like, ah, it's April. We'll just let this one go. And that's horrible to me. Yeah, no, that that's exactly what he was thinking, John. And that's the frustrating thing is, is we've all watched Velasquez enough to know when it starts to go south. You can tell by his body language. You can tell he starts walking around the mound and, and, and all that stuff. And you saw all of that. And it was like right when he walked that first hitter of the inning, it was like, here we go. And the fact that he wasn't getting anybody up was, was baffling to me. I had no clue what he was thinking in that spot. John Crux said the same thing after the second walk. This, you know, during the telecast, I'm, I'm this guy. I'm sick and tired of, you know, the, 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 he gets away like, oh, Joe Girardi, Joe Girardi. Exactly what you said. What has he done here? I don't care about what he did in New York with that loaded roster and what he did in Miami however long ago. What has he done here? He has not been very good since he's been here. And that's being generous, in my opinion. He didn't do good last year. He had a bullpen stunk, but he made a lot of bad moves last year that I remember talking to you about. Yeah, John, John, I mean, that last – if you remember that last weekend of the season – um, the Phillies need to win one game in that series. The Saturday game against Tampa Bay, the second game of that three-game series, they lost that game because of Joe Girardi and some of these crazy shifts where if they were played uh, in the right spot, they would have won that game. They would have gone to the playoffs. And if that was, and you make a good point, if that was Kapler, we'd be crushing him for it. I didn't hear one word about it last year. He, he got away scot-free last year, and I'm guaranteeing you'll be the only one on the station that is going to call him out for what he did tonight. He'll get a pass on that. I mean, it's an afternoon game tomorrow, and it'll be forgotten. But if this team misses the playoffs by one game, which, you know, at the end of the year, which is possible, we could look back at this game and say maybe that the game that Joe Girardi just decided wasn't important in April cost us our, our postseason chance. Yeah, no, I, I hear you, John, and I appreciate it, man. Uh, thanks for the call. And, yeah, I don't doubt it. Like, I don't expect there to be this massive outrage on the station tomorrow. I just don't. Because it, 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 people don't want to criticize Joe Girardi. And I don't get it. Like, I, I don't understand what kind of goodwill Joe Girardi has built in this city. You know, I don't understand why we hold him in such reverence here. Sure, the guy was an accomplished manager in New York. Why do I care what he did with a loaded Yankees roster? I could care less. I could care less what he did there. I care less what he did in Miami. I care what he does in Philadelphia. And we rip coaches all the time who have done much more in this. I mean, I do, we just came out of a football season where every week people are slaughtering a guy who won a Super Bowl championship here, had been to the playoffs three consecutive years, where people are ripping Doug Peterson every single week. Yet this Joe Girardi, who 65 games in, has stunk. Has stunk. What is a move, what is a game that Joe Girardi has been a difference maker in a positive manner for the Phillies? I would. I wish somebody could name just one. Just one. Yet nobody will criticize him tomorrow. It'll all be on Velasquez. And we all know Velasquez stinks. That's why I'm not so worked up about Vince Velasquez. I'm not going to get mad and freak out about Velasquez when we know Velasquez can't pitch. Like, everybody knew that was going to happen. Everybody except the manager. Or the manager knew it, and for some reason, decided he wanted to concede a one-run game in the seventh inning. It doesn't make any sense to me. 
And I want to. I, I would love somebody to uh, to explain to me why Joe Girardi made the right move. It was a bad move. Cost the Phillies a game. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Zach Bryan, get you both right when we get back. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. Sports Radio ninety four WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham. Uh, talking at Phillies to start the show, it's been, a, it's been a while since we've been able to break down an old uh, managerial uh, second-guessing debacle. Uh, so talking about Joe Girardi's decision to stick with Vince Velasquez, which everybody knew was a mistake on Tuesday night. I see Brian on the line is going to want to uh, touch on the uh, on some football and, and the Sam Darnold trade. Uh, funny video that I saw in regards to that on uh, Tuesday. Um, I well, Mike, I was going to ask Mike if you've seen it, but you you're not on social media, so you probably haven't. Even though this might have been on Instagram, but uh, Sam Darnold, it was so funny. He walks into his house and they're like throwing him a party for getting traded from the Jets, and you could tell he's just like ecstatic. Like that must be the feeling when you get out uh, of being a Jet, where you just go and you immediately start partying. I think Sam Darnold has a chance to be pretty good with Carolina. Yeah, he's all right. I think uh, I think there's some talent there. It's going to be a nice right. fit for him. So, uh, yeah, but I, I thought that was a pretty funny funny video. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Uh, talking Phillies. Get some Sixers if you want to get on that. You're welcome to. But Joe Girardi's decision to concede the game on Tuesday night. That's basically what he was doing. I mean, the odds are... You know, even if even if you think maybe Vince Velasquez could get out of that inning, maybe uh, the odds are not in your favor. Like the odds are dramatically sh- uh, leaning toward the side that Vince Velasquez is going to implode because Vince Velasquez always implodes. And once he walked that first hitter, you're getting nervous. Once he walked the second hitter, he has to be out. He has to be out at that moment. You have to have Kinsler ready or Brogdon ready, Bradley, one of your high leverage guys, ready for that spot. If you keep that a one-run game, you still have three innings to come back. You still have a lot of good pieces. Whether you use Brogdon or you use Kinsler there, which he did, you still have Brogdon, Bradley, Naris for the eighth and ninth to get you six outs. Those guys can't get you six outs. Bradley hasn't pitched since Saturday. Brogdon's thrown nine pitches in four days. So the idea that you want to conserve your bullpen in that spot just doesn't add up. And Joe Girardi deserves the heat. He lost the Phillies that game. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Zach in Springfield. What's up, Zach? Hey, Tom. Good to hear from you. Uh, congrats on the family. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Good. Um, so my, I, I'm kind of, I guess, more ignorant to kind of um, the Phillies. I, I've uh, I picked up on watching them through this year through spring training and um, all that. So um, I was just... Yeah, I was I was watching the game. I was uh, a bit perplexed with what they were doing, you know, because I, I was I was I was out drinking with my friends, and I was still watching the game. And I I just saw his bases were low here, and he was still he's still in there throwing throwing balls and everything, you know, walk, walk you know walking guys and all that. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm kind of just I, I guess kind of my question is because I'm I'm kind of more I'm not as kind of informed with you know baseball nowadays. I right. guess kind of. Um, on the hitting side, was there any kind of issues with the fills on kind of 
what's called with tonight with the hitting because I feel like I mean obviously the lead was got you know super 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 you know right but I I was just wondering um, because I wasn't watching it close no no Zach yeah the offense has struggled and and the offense has struggled um, in every game so far this year but you know. I would have had confidence that you could have gotten a couple runs late. I mean, the Phillies ended up getting four runs down. Who knows if they end up doing that in a, a, a closer game where the Mets are, are a little more intent on keeping them off the scoreboard. But um, if you have that at a two-to-one game with three innings left, I'm confident the Phillies could have at least tied that thing up. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the offense didn't perform great to that point tonight. But, uh, I mean, I certainly think they could have gotten you a, a run or two down the stretch. Gotcha. Yeah, and um, just one more other question. Um, so, uh, I guess since I'm kind of new, um, it's, it's kind of you know, the whole this whole new Phillies team. I guess. Um, what is it's like? Say, for example, last year, um, I, I I do believe you, and I could believe you that obviously Girardi needs to has improved on anything yet, and you know it's 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 what's called you can't just rely on his pedigree. Um, Say like I would go back last season and watch some games. What are if you could think of like an example of how he kind of poorly managed um, the games? Because that because that, that would help me kind of understand uh, you know how how a, a, a manager should handle these things and in, in situation or you know should handle situations in close games or yeah. even just setting up a game or something. Like well, that. It, yeah, Zach, I appreciate it, man. I mean, it's a Thanks. it's a it's a feel thing, um, but. Uh, you know, and, and there's not like a blueprint. Like, there's not like a chart where in this spot you do this. Like that, but that's why you're hired to be a manager to figure out in those kind of situations what the right move is. And that's about knowing your personnel and anybody. Uh, and this is what bothers me. And how Joe Girardi just clearly doesn't understand the the makeup and the personnel of the guys on his team, and doesn't understand the makeup of Vince Velasquez. We all knew that that thing was falling apart. The minute he walks those two guys, you know he's lost his command. You got to get him out of there. He is not going to work his way out of it. You need to make a change. You need to get somebody ready. That is the manager's job to have that feel, to understand in that moment that this is getting away from him that I need to have somebody ready to come in and keep this a competitive game. Joe Girardi didn't have that feel. And, you know, he deserves to be criticized for it. And it it, it, it just, it, it it's odd to me that so many people are so quick to give Joe Girardi the benefit of the doubt at every turn. Like last year, he didn't push one single correct button all season long. Yet it was all, you know, all oh, this Clentac, and I'm not telling you Clentac did a good job, but Joe Girardi had the same bullpen Kapler had the, the two years prior. And in, uh, in 18 and 19, I don't know, I didn't hear a lot of excuses about the roster for Kapler. And again, I'm not telling you, like, and, and uh, it's so funny to me because... Uh, you know, I've been made out to be like this pro Gabe Kapler apologist guy, which is not what I am. I wanted Gabe Kapler fired at the time. Who says that? Mike, uh, I'm telling you, people have called, people on Twitter tell me all the time, you got to let Kapler go. You're always apologizing for Gabe Kapler. I'm telling you, 
that's the way a lot of people have come to view me now. But it's only because I will criticize Joe Girardi when nobody else will. You know, this is these excuses that are being made for him were not being made for Gabe Kapler in 18 and 19. In 18 and 19, every time the Phillies lost a game, well, there's Gabe again. There's Gabe in his analytics. Analytics. Yeah, and there do, you go. doing the analytics and, and he's looking at his charts and his numbers and his launch angle and his pitching machine and all this nonsense. Yet in 2020 and 2021, well, it's, you know, they're saddling Girardi with these guys in the pen. What's he going to do? The guys in the bullpen in 2020 were the same guys that Kapler had in 18 and 19. There's no difference. It's not a Gabe Kapler defense. It is a question as to why does Joe Girardi get this constant immunity? Why is Joe Girardi not held to the fire the way Kapler was? This is a talented roster. This is an upgraded bullpen. And with an upgraded bullpen with legitimate options, why is Joe Girardi hell-bent on leaving Vince Velasquez in a game that we all can see Vince Velasquez physically and mentally imploding on the field? It makes no sense. And I don't get why at every turn Girardi gets the benefit of the doubt. It, 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 it is astonishing to me. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Uh, let's get Brian in here once to talk some football. What's up, Brian? Hey, how are you doing? What's up, man? Yeah, I, so I want to talk about the Eagles draft, but um, after listening to the Phillies talk, I mean, I could just go in and say, uh, so Vince Velasquez and Carson Wentz both came in 2016 and 2021. Who would have thought Vince Velasquez would be the one less standing? <laughs> That's a great point, Brian. I mean, if you would uh, bet on that, if you could bet on that somewhere, that Vince Velasquez would have a longer tenure than Carson Wentz in Philadelphia, you could have made a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And then I feel with, um, I don't see how the Phillies are going. I mean, we're four and one. I feel like it's kind of like fool's gold after 13 games. We'll probably be more like six and seven. You know, because most of the games are Braves, Mets, Braves, Mets. But that's how it's going to go this year, I guess. But um, with the Sixers, I was very excited with them B coming back tonight. I thought he might come back and maybe ease him in back to the B minutes like he was in 2016. 2017, 20 minutes a game. But they definitely let him go out. He shows he's a superstar. 16 out of 20 from the foul line. It just it shows his dominance. But the more of as a superstar in the NBA, you got to get respect from the league. And getting all those foul shots, he definitely is getting that. And we swept Boston for the first time ever this year. Or at least first time in a long time. First time in 20 years, Brian. And it was... It was hilarious watching that game, just seeing some of the guys they're sending at Embiid. None of those guys had any chance to guard him. And, um, you know, when when you look at all these other teams in the East, uh, whether it's Brooklyn, um, Milwaukee, uh, like, they're talented teams, but I don't see really anybody that has the guy who can guard Embiid. I mean, maybe Miami, maybe Adebayo could give him a little bit of trouble, but... Um, Embiid, I don't see anybody in this conference right now being able to, to to shut him down. Now, there's definitely no one, and that's the X factor against the Nets. Everyone's like, how are you going to stop Durant, Harden, and Kyrie? Well, that's why we kept Matisse. That's why we had Ben. Right. But who's going to stop Joel on the opposite side? No, so I, I, I... That's why it comes with, like, the trio. Like, obviously, they can outscore us, but our defense and our mentality and Joel Embiid, I feel like he's the X factor. 
If he comes in like he did two years ago against the Raptors, you know, the up and down games, he had 33, 17, and then he missed game five. And then, you know, he kind of lit us down. Mm -hmm. But if he comes in as a different man this year and comes in like in shape for the playoffs, not out of shape and like, you know, makes it through the season and everything, I feel like there's never. There's no one that could stop us. We're no, a good team this year. No, yeah, I'm with you, Brian. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Uh, or you, you wanted to get a football point in, right? Sorry. Oh, yeah, I did. But yeah. actually, should I right. uh, make another point? Well, if you, so, if you want to get your football actually, point in, you can. All right, my football point is uh, it's actually a wrestling point. Tonight was WWF Hall of Fame, WrestleMania oh, really? 37. Wow, and WrestleMania it. this Saturday, Sunday. No matter you like it, love it, it's a sport, and I love it. There you and go. the Hall of Fame, one of the best nights of the year. All right, well, there you go, Brian. Appreciate the call. Uh, I thought I thought Brian wanted to talk about Sam Dar- the Sam Darnold trade. That a, a pretty big uh, departure with the WWF Hall of Fame. I guess I guess they're doing their induction. So congratulations. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's get John Nowentown in here. What's up, John? DK, I thought I was waiting until after the break, bro. <laughs> I wanted to get you in, John. What's going on? Dude, I I was listening to you. You know, I I sleep during the daytime. You know, I get up. I record the Phillies when they're on late. And I get up an hour before I got to go work, and I, you know, I skipped the last three innings. But I came downstairs tonight, and my wife goes, yeah, I watched the I watched the Phillies, because she's a, she's, a, she's a baseball girl. Mm-hmm. She goes, you don't want to watch that. I'm like, what? She goes, you don't want to watch that. I said, was that bad? She goes, Vince Velasquez. I'm like, mm-mm-mm. Yeah, no, I, it, it was. I didn't even, I didn't even watch it, man. I walked out. I walked out. I got in the car. I go to work, and then I hear you talking about it. I'm like, you know, the Vince Velasquez. I'm like, I, I thought we were never. I thought we were going to get rid of this guy. And never see him again. Like, he he won't go away, man. He's like a. It's like a ghost that, that that won't go away. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, John, and no you know way. that that's why I'm not going to get mad at Velasquez. Like we all know no. what Velasquez is. We know he can't pitch. We know he's not going to come through in that spot. But the fact that Girardi doesn't have that knowledge himself and doesn't have that feel to get him out, I mean that yeah. that's a terrible job by, for a manager who's got to know better. But and Girardi used to be a catcher. Shouldn't he recognize a pitcher that's good? That's doesn't know what he's doing, or he when he loses, shouldn't he recognize that sooner than other people? He Wasn't should. that his pedigree? I mean, you know, what do you like? You said, what are you saving these pitchers for? It, you know, what are you saving the relief pitchers for? Jacob Degrom's pitching tomorrow night. Am I correct? Uh, no, Degrom pitched Monday. Um, but oh, uh, but but you sure. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah DeGrom, okay. because they had yeah, their first yeah. series canceled. So, right, yeah, I, I mean, thought he was pitching tomorrow. I'm thinking to myself, you have a way better chance of getting to this bullpen than DeGrom. So, but I don't, since I don't know who's pitching tomorrow, I'm, I'm a little messed up. So. Yeah, no, it made no sense. I mean, you have, you have Nola pitching tomorrow, and then you have an off day Thursday. So, like, what are you necessarily saving these bullpen guys for? Uh, yeah. Because, you know, if you have Aaron Nola on the mound and you trust Aaron Nola, what, you don't think Nola can get you through six, seven innings tomorrow, at least six innings, and you can have – you know, a lot of those guys still ready to go. It, it, it made no sense to me. I agree, man. You, you don't save you don't save it for for tomorrow when you can get it today. Yeah, and it's like it would yeah, be different. It, it would be different, John, if it was a four to one game, 
and you know you're down three runs, and it's like you're just trying to kind of save guys at that point. This is a two to one game in the seventh two inning. This one, is an extremely exactly. winnable game if you can get out yeah. of that inning unscathed. I mean, didn't they come from behind the night before? Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. TK, so, you're right, man. He has not made the difference making manager has not made a difference at all so far. No, he hasn't. Uh, no. Uh, no, he hasn't. Not at all. I appreciate it, John. Earn your Thanks, money, man. Joe. All right. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's supposed to be a difference maker. That's all we heard. I mean, I before spring training shut down last year, it's all we heard in February and March. Joe Girardi, now that he's in, in, in charge, this team's going to turn it around. They're going to be well run. They're going to get rid of all the analytics. They're going to get rid of all this nonsense. I mean, this is the same kind of stuff. Like, And it just goes to show. And again, this is not a Gabe Kapler defense as much as it is uh, just a point that Joe Girardi is really not that much different from Kapler. Like, for all the 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 talk and the feeling that Gabe, Kap- Gabe Kapler was some unique guy, he's really not. Like, he's basically a standard manager. They rely on analytics. Um... You know, Kapler had the same roster issues, limitations that Girardi had last year. The only difference, Girardi now has a good bullpen. And why he chose to stick with Vince Velasquez instead of going to one of these other guys, we've seen the impact that they've had over the course of the first four games. The bullpen has won the Phillies a lot of games. And the fact that Girardi chose that he wanted to kind of concede this game Made no sense whatsoever. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 if you want to join the show. Uh, When we get back, got a social media gripe. I see Eric is on the line. We'll get to Eric, and then you'll be up uh, right after Eric if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. So a lot of Philly so far. We'll get more into the Sixers uh, in the 3 o'clock hour. Hear from uh, Doc Rivers after the game. What I took from that Sixers game in a positive way and what I took in a negative way as well. Uh, because there was uh, something that is becoming very concerning uh, with the team. Even though I, I do like where the Sixers are headed right now. And Joel Embiid is just on uh, another level. Also, uh, the Flyers lost to the Bruins. I mean, if you want to call in on the Flyers, um, you're welcome to. Other than that, um, that's probably going to conclude the Flyers' talk, honestly. I just don't – I mean, I don't think they warrant any any, any time right now. You know, they're, they're a disgrace. They're, I, we've said it all before. They lose the Bruins uh, 4-2 to at home. Um, the Bruins have a bunch of COVID issues going on. Uh, they – have been shut down. I've been playing on and off for uh, a couple weeks now, and the Flyers can't catch them um, in the uh, in in the standings. It's a big week for them, and they lose again. So, if you want to talk about the Flyers' voice or frustration, uh, you're welcome to. But other than that, I, I just uh, you know I don't really think it's it's worth our time. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, uh, it's time for our social media gripe of the day, um, and this is a. Uh, uh, a phrase that I've seen uh, often, this will be, I, I hope, better than yesterday's. Yesterday's was not very good. Uh, it didn't really, uh, I had a, a hard time um, explaining it. But uh, this one is, 
Um, when people will say these days, this person woke up and chose violence. That's something that a lot of people are saying these days. I don't even know what it means. I, I don't know if this is a, maybe it's a, it's, it's related back to Game of Thrones. Um, Cersei Lannister at one point says to Littlefinger, I choose violence. That's the only thing I can remember uh, in terms of that. But um, like, like if an athlete has a good game, like uh, Ben Simmons woke up and chose violence. I don't know where this um, necessarily comes from, but if anybody can explain it, uh, I'd appreciate it. Just one of those things that one person does and now everybody's putting these tweets up. I get it. I just think it means like you roasted somebody like so. And if you roasted somebody, then it. But why? Why though? Why, what does that mean? Like it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't make sense though. Like so, like if I beat you in an argument, Al can come in and be like, "Man, Mike chose violence." That's on what your I. Show tonight. That's what I mean. It's stupid. <laughs> it's just a stupid thing. And then I saw another one of these, um, which this is always one that bothers me because this is people just trying to get their. Uh, opinion out there and uh, call attention to it. That's is, the point of Twitter to get your opinion out there, right? But this is the, when, but but it's like you try to involve other people just so you can get more traction. When they'll say unpopular ta- food takes or something like that, I'll go first. That, that's oh, the yeah, worst. Yeah, yeah. Is the I'll go first. See, you got to let me finish, Mike. You're so quick to jump on me sometimes um, and disagree. You got to let me finish getting it out first. Have I disagreed with anything you've said so far? No, I mean, I know. I just, but you know, I was trying to, trying to finish the gripe right there. Right. Um, so that, that, that's one that, uh, you know, people do a lot is, is I'll go first and then they want everybody else. And, and it's just a way to get people to pay more attention to your tweet. Like your tweets, either something people, you know, is either good or bad. You know, you don't have to beg for the attention by saying, I'll go first to try to involve other people. That's basically the way I look at it. Uh, 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Let's go to Eric in South Philly. What's up, Eric? Hey, let me get you on speaker. Okay. Hey, how you doing? What's up, man? Yeah, I just want to make a quick um, Eagles point, and then I'll get to my Sixers point. Yeah, for the Eagles... um. I just, what do you think about the Nick Sirianni film breakdown? Like, do you just think if any coach can do that, or is, is that something to look, you know, get you excited? Yeah, no, I think any any coach can break down the X's and O's of it, Eric. But what I love, I love his enthusiasm, and we're gonna play the cuts a little later on. But I mean, I I really do think that's something that translates well with players. Um, the enthusiasm, the guy clearly cares. Uh, he clearly, you know knows the game and, and loves the game. And, and I don't know, I'm feeling a little more positive about Nick Sirianni lately, the more I see of him. Yeah. To be honest, that got me a little excited because I did not really have any idea what to think about the hire when it first occurred. But um, after seeing that, I just feel like him having more football stuff to like talk about instead of just a regular press conference, I think it's going to get us more excited. Right. And I think, and I think that's, what's tough, Eric. It's, It's so hard to judge guys based on a press conference setting, because they're just not all that experienced. Like, a guy like Nick Sirianni, I guarantee you, he hasn't talked in a lot of, uh, you know, high-pressure press conference environments as offensive coordinator in a small market like Indy. I mean, right. you got to come, and you're 
now the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, which is a high-pressure job, I mean, that, that that's a tough spot to put a guy in. And, and I think, you know, just talking football with the team, I think he'll be much more comfortable in that kind of environment. Yeah, I actually do, too. I think so, too. Um, as far as the Sixers go, um, I think this team has a legit shot. Um, my only critique of the entire team is I really want I want a starter um, to replace um, Steph Curry, but also Ben Simmons, I don't know. He's just so, to me, I, I don't want to say unpredictable because it's pretty much predictable now, but it's just, you know, we we can't really depend on him too much down the stretch, especially in the um, playoff series. Um, especially in the close game, because at that point it's just five on four. Yeah. But I really want a, another starter um, next to him, um, opposite Seth Curry. Just I think he should be coming off the bench. Um, hopefully, I, I think honestly, I would rather George Hill start over Seth, but that's just um, that's just my thoughts. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I I I would agree, Eric. I think Seth Curry coming off the bench uh, would be very useful in in really giving that bench unit a legit shooter, a legit scorer. The problem is right now, I mean, they're talking like George Hill isn't going to be back for for a while. And if that's the case, it's like, why is that the guy you went out and traded for um, if he's still dealing with this thumb thing? I mean, the way they're talking, Doc said on Tuesday, they're not expecting him back anytime soon. And, I mean, the playoffs start in about six weeks. So, so, I mean, you're running out of time. Exactly. Wait, was there like twenty-two games left in the season? Yes, yeah, something you know? like that. I mean, were there what? There are what fifty-one right now? Yeah, I think they got like twenty-one games left. So, like, yeah. Well, he got a very short time to get you know to get you know accustomed to the team to just get right. his rhythm. Yeah. No. So uh, hopefully they can get him back, Eric. Because I agree with you. I think ideally George Hill starts in the starts in the backcourt. Um, you know, with, with Simmons and, and Danny Green, and then you can kind of uh, bring Seth Curry off the bench uh, with Shake Milton as your backup guards. But, uh, you know, obviously George Hill's got to get healthy first. Yeah, I think that's the ideal situation right there. Yeah. But anyway, great show, man. Nice Thanks, talking man. to you. Appreciate it. Yeah, and, and we'll we'll dive into that a little bit when we get back because some odd answers from Doc on Tuesday in regards to George Hill. And um, George Hill's with the team, so I... I guess that's an encouraging thing. Like, I don't think this is a situation. This is not a, a GR3 situation. You know, this is not a, a Glenn Robinson the third, um, you know, situation where doesn't want to be with the team. Mike, I know you were uh, very upset. We both were. Alec about the Burks G- too. Yeah, and Alec Burks too. But it was mainly, you know, it was mainly Glenn, Glenn Robinson the third. You could well, tell he yeah, didn't want to be Once there. he got here, he just moped. Yeah. 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 He was confused on his role. And that, that yeah, that's right. He was complaining about his role. And, man, Billy King, uh, I'm, like, so scared to ever see Billy King anymore. Because when I was filling in for the morning show, when I had my, uh, I remember when I was going with that Larry Bird is overrated take. And I basically said Larry Bird in today's NBA would be Glenn Robinson the third. I think Billy King will hate me forever for for saying that. Uh, so, you were a little off on that one. Yeah, whenever I think about Glenn Robinson the third, that's that's what uh, that's what I think of, and I think I, I think I might have uh, might have. I still think Larry Bird was a little overrated. I mean, I, in today's NBA, I don't I don't think he'd be a superstar, um, but uh, I think he's better than Glenn Robinson the third. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, two one five five nine two nine. Four nine four. Uh, talking about the Phillies, 
uh, talking about the Sixers, um, and we will continue doing so. Also, we do have these Nick Sirianni clips coming up later in the show. This is good stuff. You'll want to stay tuned for that um, because it's just a guy who loves ball, talking ball, breaking down tape, um, and not just breaking down plays, breaking down, you know, player interactions. I mean, Nick Sirianni gives you the full uh, gambit. Uh, in these breakdowns. So you'll want to stick around for that. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. In for Big Daddy Graham on a Tuesday morning. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Talking a lot of Philly so far tonight. And um, I want people's opinions on this. Whether you were upset, as upset as I am, uh, that Joe Girardi threw away game Tuesday night. That's what he did. I mean, he decided that a 2-1 to game in the seventh inning wasn't worth, you know, running through a few pitchers, um, using guys who were available. I mean, he had guys available. And I don't understand. Um, can we actually play that one again, Mike, when he's talking about why he left Velasquez in? Because it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And we'll get to Mike in South Philly in a second here. But here was Joe Girardi um, after the game on why he decided to stick with Vince Velasquez in the seventh inning. Well, the choice are, is, is Vinny or David in, in that situation. And that um, part of the order had been kind of tough to, on David. So I decided to go with Vinny. And after he goes through the sixth. And, and I would have used Vinny probably for the third inning had he went through the seventh. Um, just because of knowing... You know, we have relievers down today. Um, we'll probably have some more down tomorrow that you'd like to have another long guy um, in a sense. And that would have been David Hale for tomorrow, but I don't know if I'll have him now. So it's kind of, we had five relievers that I was comfortable using. Didn't really want to use Kinsler for much because of yesterday, the one and two thirds. And, you, and you know, you have to live with that and figure out a way to get through it. Now, Mike, I got to ask you, you're a big baseball guy. He says in that clip, his two options in that spot were Velasquez and Hale. You're in the seventh inning of a two-to-one game. Why are your only options your long guys there? I mean, those are high-leverage situations, as Gabe would say, right? Because he wanted, uh, he I, he preferred one guy to come in and take down three innings. He'll figure out the ninth, maybe put Kinsler in there. Hopefully the bats wake up, and if they lose, they lose. We'll go home, try and go win tomorrow, and you know we'll go five and one into Atlanta. But you, I mean, you have all these guys, and you have your ace. I mean, I, all I hear is is Aaron Nola's an ace. I mean, I get a lot of pushback when I say Aaron Nola has not shown enough yet. If Aaron Nola's really an ace, why do you got to save all your mid to late guys for tomorrow? Like it, this is not an unwinnable game. I, I'd be on board with that. Yeah. If this was four to one, like if you're down four one and, you know, it's the bottom or top of the seventh, then, okay, I'm on board with with kind of conserving your guys for tomorrow. But it's a two-to-one game in the seventh inning. You keep that a one-run ball game right. against a Mets bullpen that we know is fragile. That's a very winnable game for your team. To me, the only question is Brogdon. Like, I don't understand the Brogdon one. He threw nine pitches Monday night. Right. I, I don't get that. So... What about if, Archie? He should have won. I if he won in the game and decided, you know what, I'm just going to save Neris, Bradley, and Alvarado for for uh, Thursday afternoon. Fine, but I don't understand like why, you know, like why um, 
I'm, yeah. bl- I'm blanking on his name. No, I just mentioned. Um, Archie Bradley or, or Brogdon? Yeah, Connor Brogdon? why was Brogdon not available? Yeah, It, it like, doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And like we've seen him pitch back-to-back outings because in Tampa last year, he pitched, I think, all three of those games. Right. Like and, That's how much they relied on him. Yeah, and I, like, I get Coomrod. Coomrod pitched two innings the night before. Yeah, He's probably un- unavailable, mm-hmm. uh, and we knew Alvarado was, but mm-hmm. you, know, you still had options, and you keep that a game, and then if it gets out of hand, then fine. Then you throw David Hale in for the eighth and ninth, and, and you throw him away, and whatever. I mean, why do you need that? That's another thing that's odd to me is he's talking about, well, I need to conserve a long man for tomorrow. You have Aaron Nola on the mound tomorrow. Like, if you're worried about Aaron Nola coming out early, then that doesn't say a lot to what you really think of Aaron Nola. Do you agree, too? It seemed like he got caught with, like, a yellow light on Kinsler. Like, he, he couldn't commit to if he was available or unavailable. Like you know what I mean? Like he should have like if he decided he was available, he should have went to him earlier in the in the right. you know the seventh, stopped the bleeding. But that's another weird thing to me too. Like, but Kinsler's the guy you end up going to anyway. So it was just a lot of uh, odd decision making, and I thought Joe Girardi threw away game, and um, it was a move where, and again, this is not a and uh, because I I I know the way it's spun, and and. You know, that, oh, you're defending Gabe. And the thing is, Mike, people think we love Gabe because we play the Gabe check-ins, which that has nothing to do with what we think of Gabe as a manager. We just think Gabe's an entertaining guy. I think Gabe's a, uh, you know, above average manager. Yeah, I think Gabe's I think Gabe's a completely average manager. I'll say that. I think he's a completely run-of-the-mill major league manager. No, he's manager. better than that. He's better than that. Okay. Uh, we, we can disagree on that. I think he's pretty average. I think he's pretty standard. But I don't think... There's a big gap between Gabe Kapler and Joe Girardi. And if Gabe Kapler had done what Joe Girardi did on Tuesday night, I guarantee you what the whole day on this station would be Wednesday. This Kapler, these analytics, you got to get them out of here. Send them back, coconut oil, all this other stuff that people would yell. But Girardi, we can't criticize Joe. You know, it's going to be Velasquez. Velasquez will get crushed. I'm not going to crush Velasquez for being what Vince Velasquez is, which is a not not a very good pitcher. That's on Joe Girardi to know, and that's on Joe Girardi to make a move to go to somebody who can get outs in that spot and keep that game within reach. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Mike in South Philly. What's up, Mike? How's it going, Tom? What's going on, man? you got to make a correction. It wasn't Littlefinger that Sergi said that to. It was Lancel Lannister. Are you sure? No, Mike. I don't know about that. I think. Remember, he confronts her because he's, uh, you know, he's all been brainwashed. I thought that was little fit. No, that's little finger. Power is power. The little finger. Yes, and then I wait. Is that the same? Wait, are you? Huh? Is this after Lancel had had his like awakening and became a member of the Seven and all that? Yeah, and then he confronts her, and then the mountain standing next to her. And and he said, and then she says, "I choose violence." And and the yeah. mountain steps up, and he stabs the mountain in the armor, and it doesn't do anything. You know what? You're right, Mike. I was thinking about the power is power yeah. scene with Littlefinger. But um, on that note, Mike, I know we're getting close to the 10 year anniversary. I am I'm getting very close to uh to to taking the plunge and and starting uh, a rewatch. It's yeah, been two it years. Month. I'm doing it this month. Yeah, it's been two years. It's 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 time. I. I haven't watched an episode of Game of Thrones since the finale. I've been that um, shattered by it. 
but uh, I, I think in the next few weeks, I am going to start a rewatch. Well, you're gonna get you're gonna get PTSD from the final season. No, I don't want to. <laughs> Your rant about Grey Worm again. Oh my God, <laughs> I, I just I, it's gonna be tough to watch that final season. But I know once I go through the first six, like I'll have to just watch the final two. Um, yeah, that's but, a shame because like it really is like one of the greatest things ever created in any form of media. Oh, the, and it's a shame that, that they ruined it that way. But it's just like you know what it is. You know what you know what it's funny too. Like. Every now and then I'll speak to somebody or, or see somebody who started Game of Thrones for the first time. And while some people might not like his story arc, it's crazy how much people love Jon Snow. Like, he's one of the most beloved TV characters in the history of television. Like, when obviously, you know, it happens at the end of season five, like, people, like, bawl. Like, they cry their eyes out about what happened. And then obviously, you know, he comes back, but... Um, people love that guy, John Snow. Oh, he's a well, he's a great character, Mike. And, yeah, that's and, why, like, you know, it's just it made him into it, the worst in season the, eight. Those first six <laughs> seasons, and and uh, like uh, the 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 two episodes to close season six are like they are two perfect episodes of television. Like, I'm not sure there will ever be two back to back episodes better than those two. Oh, ever yeah, again. they're so amazing. Yeah, yeah, and it's moments like with Cersei where. Even though you like despise her at some parts, you, you got to respect her. Oh yeah, she's, she's ruthless. Yeah, absolutely ruthless. Yeah. yeah. So, um, God, I have been having a little bit of a premonition. You know, just sometimes you feel something in your gut that something's going to happen in sports. You can't shake it. I've been feeling it for like a week now. Tom, I can't shake it. it it's it's with the Eagles. I just I have this feeling in my gut that Howie's going to take a defensive lineman in the first round. I just I've been feeling it. I just now, it's not completely just a gut feeling. Like, I mean, I obviously, you know, there's, you know, unless somebody leaks something like Schefter report, you know, it's just you, you pick up little things, you know, here and there, and you, you kind of base it um, tangentially. But um, the fact that he traded out, like, if he really wanted a receiver that badly or a corner, I really don't think he would have traded the 12. Like, if he really wanted one that badly. Because even though I don't think all the top receivers and all the top corners are going to be gone at 12, I think, I think Waddle and Smith and obviously Chase are all going to be gone by 12. I think they all will be. I think one of the corners will be left. But there's a chance that they all could be gone. However, there's next to no chance that the two top defensive ends are going to be gone. Either Pay or Rousseau are going to be there. And just knowing Howie how he always likes to – most of his draft picks over the years have either been offensive line or defensive line. I think, I think he's drafted more defensive linemen than any other part, part of the team uh, since he's been a general manager. And can you just picture him standing up there kind of really smug and going, you know, you guys uh, didn't like us when we picked another Michigan defensive end years back, so I'm telling you, you're going to grow to love this guy. He's a hard worker. He's going to learn from Brandon. I'm telling you, Pay is going to be their, their, their pick at 12. They're well, going to take him. And and this city is going to melt down when, if it does happen. I mean, I don't think it's impossible, Mike, because you look at the way they they value positions. They value the lines, and and if they like and they love pass rushers, and if there's a pass rusher there that they like, I think they'll consider it. Now, I mean, I still think if Waddle or Devontae Smith is there, and I I actually think Devontae Smith's going to be there. I think they'll take him. Now, I could be wrong, um, certainly, but. If he's there, I think they'd take him. But I got to say, you know, if Rousseau's there, I mean, I wouldn't hate the pick. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think it's a horrible pick when you look at where they are defensive end-wise, the fact that Graham is getting older, Barnett you may not want to re-sign, 
Rousseau sat out last season, but he, I mean, he had a hell of a year in 2019. I, I wouldn't be as outraged as you'd be if that were the direction they went. Uh, I prefer receiver or corner, but uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go nuts if they drafted a D end. Well, just, you know, generally speaking, you know, I think defensive end is one of the top four premium positions you can have in, in football. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, I, you know, it's, it's, I don't have a problem with them taking defensive end, but it's just that like, it just would be so howy to in a, in a draft that the, the general consensus by pretty much everybody is this is a strong offensive draft. Like the, I mean, just it's loaded at the top with offensive players. But it would be so howy to go defense with his first pick in an offensive draft. Like, remember he when he took Andre Dillard, and they're like, well, Howie, this is supposed to be a strong defensive line class. Why didn't you go defensive line in the first round? And he went, well, I mean, you know, and it, since it's a strong defensive class, you know, that means we were able to get one of the best offensive players. He, like, and then obviously we saw that completely backfire. Now, that doesn't mean a defensive end would backfire as well, but I'm just saying it's, like, just it's always Howie to do it, like, the, just to go his route, to do it his way, and just to be you know, the smartest guy in the room type of deal. I just I just been feeling it for a while now. Hey, maybe he will take Smith or something. I'll be wrong, but that's just my. I think they're going to take defensive end in twelve. Yeah, I mean, but but I think it's less about about that. Like like and and you know that's just I think the way they view it organizationally. And and I like I don't necessarily disagree. Like you said, with the with the idea that that defensive end is a premium position, and if they think they can get a guy who is going to be a legitimate difference maker, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate it. Now, if obviously the pick doesn't pan out and the guy ends up being kind of another Derek Barnett, who I've been disappointed by Barnett, yeah. then that's not going to gonna look good. But if they end up getting a D-end who's, who's a, a legit player, I mean, I don't think that, that would be a, a bad result. Um, yeah, if, if he's like a, you know, a very good stud defensive end, I mean, you'd love to have one on the team. Right. You know. um, by the way, things aren't looking too good for Deshaun Watson, are they, right now? Uh, no, they're not. And apparently, uh, did you see the report? The Eagles are still keeping tabs on the situation um, as yeah. this plays out. But yeah, I don't think I don't think he's tradable right now. Like I, I don't think um, Houston can trade him. Um, and who knows? I mean, he may not. If, if this continues down the road, it's going right now. Deshaun Watson might not be playing anywhere this season. The NFL. Oh yes, I mean, I think somebody filed a criminal. Uh... There's, was there a criminal charge put the, against him? I think there was. Two of the women, I believe, spoke on Tuesday. Um, and, you know, it, it, I really have no clue where this thing's headed at this point. But I think a few weeks ago, kind of the the mindset was, okay, these are civil cases. They'll get settled. And this thing will kind of blow over. It, this thing, I don't think it's blowing over anytime soon. Yeah. It's, and then it's, it was weird, too, because I think his, it was either his attorney or somebody put out like a they, they somehow released a statement where they gathered a bunch of, uh, you know, women who worked in massage parlors who vouched for him. Like, did you see yeah. that thing too? Where it was like a, it was yeah. like a whole committee of them. And I'm like, this, this is the, this is such a, an odd situation. Now, obviously you can never judge somebody you don't know. That's why like, it's always been my philosophy in life, never to idolize people. I don't know mm-hmm. because you just, you just never know. So Deshaun Watson could be the biggest creep in the world. Um, but he always appeared, at least, to be like a classy, uh, you know, well-spoken individual. He always seemed like a good guy. So we, I mean, he could. We have no idea what the Sean Watson is. He could be a monster. But then all of a sudden, you see these women vouch for him too. It's like I just have nobody knows what the hell's going on. I see. I wonder if, like, is this something that it could be so bad that the guy's just out of the league in two years? I mean, it's entirely possible. 
if it continues on this route that it's going. Yeah, no, no, it is, Mike. And um, it, it's 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 kind of unbelievable that we're here considering where we were a couple months ago and it kind of did pop up out of nowhere, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this ends up being resolved. And I mean, who knows where his career ends up going from here? It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so. now every time I see that Roman Quinn did something dumb, I always crack. I don't know how much you can't stand. You know what? It's one of those phenomena, you know, phenomena in sports. It's like every team now and again has a guy that clearly stinks. And they, and it's not even like they were great and then they declined and you're just hoping that they can recapture some magic. It's like they've always stunk, but for some reason, coach, manager, whatever, just has this thing for the player where they just keep playing them. Yeah. And it's like, I don't understand why some coaches and managers in sports just get this stubborn hang up with specific players. And I guess with this iteration of the Phillies, it seems to be Roman Quinn. What, what is it that the coaches love about this guy? Mike. I mean, he's never been, it's not like he, he would cry. He was crushing it in the minor leagues. Like, Oh man, this guy's just drilling home runs left and right in the minor leagues. We've we got to give him a chance. Like what has he done? He's never done anything. No, Mike, you're right. And I appreciate it, yeah, man. Thanks. And uh, I, I was going to, I was going to get to the Sixers next, but I got to get, I got to get to Roman Quinn now. I mean, Mike just brought it up. We got to talk about this next because uh, this was very predictable. I mean, I said it coming out of camp when the Phillies finalized their roster. Said Roman Quinn's going to end up costing you. I mean, he, he's going to end up costing you games, and him being in the lineup is hurting this team. So we'll talk about that a little bit coming up next. Uh, the Phillies' insistence on keeping Roman Quinn and um, why their words don't match up with their actions and what is obvious to everybody who has seen this team play and has seen Roman Quinn play, not just this year, uh, but in the past as well. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly in for big daddy Graham uh, open lines for the first time tonight jammed up on the, sh- on the, uh, on the line so far, but if you want to get in, you're welcome to I'm Tom Kelly sports radio, 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham on a Wednesday morning following a difficult Phillies loss, a frustrating Phillies loss. If you want to get in uh, and talk about it, uh, open lines right now. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. A lot of talk about it so far and the decision-making of the manager, Joe Girardi. And uh, we'll get back to that. Uh, as we uh, go forward here throughout the course of the show, because uh, what Joe Girardi did didn't make a lot of sense. But um, there's another aspect of this game that was incredibly frustrating. Uh, And, you know, you knew this was going to happen when the Phillies came out of spring training. And it's, it's funny as I, as I begin to talk about this, I have the replay of the Phillies game right now. Um, which was also on ESPN. I I watch the ESPN broadcast uh, in this one. I I like to get the national perspective sometimes. So I watch the ESPN broadcast. Um, and as I'm watching right now, uh, Roman Quinn at the plate uh, about the strikeout. And um, we all knew, and we talked about it all spring, where the big storyline was, would Odubel Herrera make the Phillies roster? And would he make this team? And, you know, I understood the conflict that many people had 
about Odubel Herrera. And we talked about it a bunch. As far as whether he deserves to be in major leagues, whether he should be on this roster, whether he uh, has the right to um, come back and, and play at this level. And the, you know, where I ended up coming from on this and talked about it before is I would have been fine with the Phillies cutting bait with Odubel Herrera back in the offseason before spring training um, if that's the route you wanted to go. If you wanted to take that mortal stand and you wanted to move on, then fine, you move on. But when you bring him back to spring training, you keep him as a part of the organization, this becomes a baseball decision. And there is no logical way from a baseball standpoint that Roman Quinn should be on this roster instead of Odubel Herrera. And I'll go back to Dave Dombrowski. This was Dave Dombrowski right after spring training when asked about uh, that decision and why Odubel Herrera did not make the opening day roster. Well, tough decision. I mean, as you know, went right down to the wire. A lot of conversations, different debate some people thought one way other people thought the other i think finally what came down to at the end first of all we want to look at hazley a little bit at the end and so we got a chance to look at him hasn't had a lot of at bats but he swung the bat well when we saw him here at the end we think he's ready to take that next step and, and get a chance to play well that i mean that's fine you want to see hazley you want hazley um to be on the major league roster that's fine but that still doesn't explain anything in regards to Roman Quinn. And uh, here's more from Dombrowski talking about Adubo Herrera needing more bats. I think for us, when you when you look at Odubo's situation, you're talking about somebody who had 50 spring training at bats over a couple of years. And we are just saying it, it's going to be tough for him to be consistent at this point. He just hasn't seen enough. At times you see the flashes. So for us, it was better for him to go out and, and play on an everyday basis and see what happens uh, coming over the next time period. But we like him. He did well. But that was really the final deterrent just for him. Just go out and get more bats so we can hopefully see more consistency of the good the good swings. Okay, so you want to see more bats from Odell Herrera. Uh, but does that come at the expense of hurting your own team, because that's what's happening right now. And, uh, you know, let's face it, this was a PR decision. This was not made based on performance, uh, but Dave Dombrowski argued otherwise. Here was Dombrowski on what this decision ultimately came down to. I think it really um, performance-related at this point. I just, it was hard for me to make, to come to a final conclusion. I mean, I guess ultimately the final decision becomes mine. But it was hard for me to come to that because I haven't seen Hazley play very much. He looked good the first, you know, what game or two in spring training, and then at the end he swung the bat well. I know last year was not his best year, but some people really like him. Now, uh, that's where this does not make any sense because again, he keeps talking about Hazley. But what is the excuse for Roman Quinn being on this roster? And Jim Salisbury was a guest of the morning show when all this was going down the day after the decision was finalized. Jim Salisbury put it better than I ever could. We'll get to that in a second here. I think Roman Quinn, we've seen a lot of him. And people love to talk about his injury history. I'm not even going to talk about his injury history. He doesn't hit. He doesn't hit. Uh, He struck out 33% of the time last year. He only walked 4% of the time. He doesn't get on base. 
to use his um, his one tool, and his tool can really help you offensively and defensively. But if you don't hit, you can't get on the line in the lineup and then help defensively. So I think they project as a better team with Oduble, and um, I would not be surprised if we're going to see him at some point. And that's where this makes no sense, and why I have no clue why Roman Quinn is on this roster. And if it's not going to be Oduble, if you really don't want to bring Oduble up, and let's face it, I mean, saying it's not a PR situation, it's absolutely a PR situation. Like, it makes no sense otherwise why he wouldn't be on this roster. And if you don't want to bring him up, fine. Bring up Moniac. Bring up, I don't care who you bring up from the minor leagues. I don't care what utility man, what outfielder you bring up. Bring up Kingery. I don't care. Roman Quinn is terrible. He is terrible. The guy serves absolutely no purpose. He has one tool. As Jim Salisbury said, he can run. He is fast. Other than that, he does nothing. How does make how does being fast make you good at baseball? How does speed translate? How is speed useful to a major league team if you're never on base? Not only can the guy not hit, he can't bunt. He doesn't know how to walk. He doesn't have good at bats. He doesn't hit the ball on the ground. He doesn't do anything that you would want a player with his skill set to do. He's a bad fielder. He doesn't have he doesn't get good breaks on balls. His speed in the outfield is useless. Roman Quinn so far this season, I mean, it's comical how bad his numbers are. He has had 8 at bats this year. He is 0 for 8 with 6 strikeouts. How is that even possible that this guy is on a major league team getting major league at bats? Starting games. And again, I don't care at this point if it's Oduble or Moniac or Jankowski or Kingery, whoever you have in the minor leagues. But are you really this afraid of losing Roman Quinn? Like, because that's that's the thing. Roman Quinn's out of options. And Nir Dombrowski talking about this decision coming down to Herrera or Hazley. Like, Roman Quinn, oh, well, he's got a spot on the roster. Like, he was never considered as a guy who could who could get cut. Based on what? The guy cannot hit. The guy cannot play baseball. He has one skill that is useless if he doesn't have any of the other skills to go with it. If he could bunt, or he could hit the ball on the ground and hit the ball in the hole, or work walks, or do anything to get on base... That would make it a, a, a different situation. But he can't. He can't do anything. He is a poor man's Ben Revere. I can't think of a worse description for a player than that. And the fact that the Phillies continue to trot him out there and keep him on this roster as he just sucks up a roster spot makes absolutely no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. I don't know what this organization sees in him. That they are are seemingly not even considering, you know, designating him for assignment. And if somebody picks him up, somebody picks him up. Wow, you lost Roman Quinn. How are you going to be able to sleep at night?
that we don't have to see Roman Quinn out there swinging for the fences and striking out another time in the eight hole. It's just unbelievable. And I don't understand. I don't understand what the appeal is. If somebody could explain it to me, um, I would love to hear from you. But it makes absolutely no sense. Please, Dave Dombrowski, Joe Girardi, John Milton, whoever is ultimately making this decision, please end the Roman Quinn experience. We don't need to see him anymore. He can't play. He's not a major leaguer. Go in a different direction. Anybody other than Roman Quinn in center field is an upgrade. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. A lot of Phillies talk tonight, um, which we will continue. Um, Open lines. We've had a a lot of Phil's calls so far. Um, But if you want to get in, now's a good time as the lines have opened up a little bit. Uh, So we will continue talking Phil's. But when we get back, we have... Some exclusive content to get to from PhiladelphiaEagles.com. The old ball coach, the guy who loves ball, Nick Sirianni, sat down for a 25-minute film breakdown session. Broke down a lot of Colts film from last year with uh, the Eagles um, film guru, Fran Duffy. And just what's better than that, Mike? A couple guys sitting down. Talking ball. They may have even had a chew, for all we know. <laughs> they could be sitting down, chewing some gum, yeah. studying some ball, uh, grinding some film. Uh, and it was good stuff. Was it uh, video or just audio? Oh, it was video. Oh, and okay. and I wish I, I wish you could see the video because Nick is getting he's getting fired up. Yeah. He was getting um he was getting very excited by the film. Uh and I I like Nick Sirianni's a guy who I don't think he does anything else. I think he sits in his office, he watches film, he grinds some tape, and he watches ball. That's all this guy does, and I'm starting to really like him. So we'll play some of this sound for you when we get back. Nick Sirianni uh, breaking down film, uh, and uh, he's a likable guy. You know, Regardless whether you think he's going to be a good coach, he's a guy you're going to root for. So we'll play uh, Nick Sirianni uh, when we get back. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. If you want to get in, open lines 215-592-9494. Get you right up. Uh, Talking about the Phils um, as well as the Sixers. We'll get a little more into the Sixers a little later on. They beat up on the Celtics on uh, Tuesday night. But uh, a lot of talk tonight about the Phillies and the controversial uh, decision by Joe Girardi to stick with Vince Velasquez. We'll kind of revisit that uh, to start the 4 o'clock hour. And if you're just waking up, let you know what went down. Because um, I thought it was a terrible move by Joe Girardi. Uh, Really, uh, basically throwing a game away. And, you know, in in no way am I trying to defend Gabe Kapler, but this this is one of those decisions. If this was Gabe, he gets slaughtered for it would get absolutely slaughtered. But Joe Girardi, he'll probably skate because nobody likes to criticize Joe, um, even though Joe Girardi's accomplished nothing here. Um, What he did in New York, what he did in Miami, I don't really care. Um, The job he's done here through 65 games has been underwhelming at best. And his decision on Tuesday night 
made absolutely no sense. So we'll get back to that in the next segment. Um, But I needed to play some sound for you as, you know, this is kind of the dead time in the NFL calendar here uh, where you have this little lull between free agency, the beginning of free agency, um, the opening of the league year, and the draft, where you have the first week or two of free agency, uh, a lot happens, and then for a few weeks, things kind of die down, In a few weeks when we get closer to the draft, uh, draft talk will start um, ratcheting up a little bit, and we'll start getting really excited uh, for where things are going and what the Eagles end up doing at number 12. But uh, this is kind of the dead time. There hasn't been a lot of Eagle stuff to discuss of late. But I, I saw something on my Twitter timeline uh, on Tuesday as Nick Sirianni, new Eagles head coach, who we haven't heard a ton from Nick yet. We we had Nick Sirianni for his introductory press conference, uh, came on with Angelo and the gang um, that following Monday. And then uh, what was the and then Nick Sirianni did uh, that thing with how you're right. He did a presser with Howie um, a few weeks ago or, or the interview with Dave Spadaro. I forget if they both faced the media or not. I know Howie did. I'm not sure if Nick Sirianni was there or not, but uh, we haven't heard a ton from Nick Sirianni yet. But he uh, and this was a cool thing that PhiladelphiaEagles.com did. Where and I guess this was kind of to get a little access to Nick Sirianni with the fans. Because as I said, we don't know a lot about him. We have this limited um, interaction from the couple times he has spoke to the media. But they did something where they let you see Nick Sirianni behind the scenes. And if you want to go to um, the website and watch it, it's like a 25-minute film session with Fran Duffy, who does the... um, the, the tape and a lot of breakdowns for the Eagles uh, website and does a really good job. He sits down with Nick Sirianni for about 25 minutes and it's just a couple guys sitting down, grinding tape, talking ball. And it's some really good stuff. And I didn't watch all of it, um, but I watched some of it and I pulled some clips. And, you know, Nick Sirianni is a very interesting guy. And whether he can coach or not, that remains to be seen. And I, as I said, I'm not going to base too much off the press conferences. That stuff's so overrated. Uh, people hated Andy because his press conferences. People thought Doug was a moron because of his press conferences. They ended up being very good coaches. People thought Chip was very clever and Chip had good answers during his press conferences. Chip was an awful coach. So I don't care about that at all. I don't think that matters one bit. Nick Sirianni, as of now, is a little uncomfortable. Probably hasn't had too much experience in those kind of environments. He'll get better over time, and that doesn't really correlate or have an effect on what he's going to be as a head coach. What's going to matter for Nick Sirianni as a head coach is what he can do concept-wise, what he sees when he watches the game, and the way he connects with players. And in a lot of these regards, I think he's going to thrive. And I want to play a couple of clips for you here. First, here's Nick Sirianni uh, describing a play from last season when he was with the Indianapolis Colts. Okay, so this is a little bit different. Now we're getting a longer, fast guy the ball. People are blowing out of this other side, right? You can see T.Y. Hill and 
and Zach Pascal blowing out this coverage. They're running a three-dog pressure. We get the safety out of there. They're bringing the nickel. We're going to pick this up. The nickel gets out of there, or pardon me, the safety gets out of there. T.Y. blows the corner out of there, and they got one guy to cover two now, right? So Allie Cox is coming across. Michael Pittman's coming across. All right, now, this is tough for you. This is tough for you, linebacker. I think number 58, you got to cover two. Who are you going to pick? All right, so he drops back out of there. The ball's out of Phillip Rivers' hand quick, and we turn that thing into a long play. What can't be unnoticed here is the ball placement by the quarterback. The ball placement by the quarterback, does Michael Pittman have to break stride? Does he have to break stride? I would say no. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, long, shoot, long I was point. asking you the question, Frank. That's Come right. on. There you go. I mean, I love that. I like love Nick Sirianni breaking it down and, you know, getting on Fran a little bit. Come on, Fran. I need your enthusiasm. Like, you got you to gotta match. If you're going to watch film, if you're going to grind tape with Nick Sirianni, you got to match his enthusiasm. You got to be as fired up as the ball coach is about ball because that's what we know about Nick Sirianni. He's all ball all the time. He loves ball. And, uh, one thing he doesn't love, though, is uh, a certain type of route. And this was Nick Sirianni uh, analyzing one of his players' routes. Uh, and you know he's a wide receiver guru. Here's another clip from, from the coach. And then, Coach, real quickly before we move to the next one, talk about the route from T.Y. as well, because he looks like he holds that vertically before breaking across the field, right? How does that affect that safety Abrams deep? Everything we talk about, Fran, is to run a sharp, crisp route. Like, I don't like banana routes, right? I don't like the, uh, we're going to roll into it. It's stick your foot in the ground and rip it, right? Because if we can get ourselves going vertically, like T.Y. is doing right here, stick our right foot in the ground hard. We always say it's your foot. It's your body, it's your head sticking hard to the right here. To move Abram to the right. Look at again. Look at 15. Look at Paris Campbell. There's no banana there. Here's what happens when you banana it. That guy gets in your hip. And that throw to the quarterback is a lot harder. So here's what I tell the receivers. If you make it easy for the quarterback to throw you the football, what's going to happen? Dude, he's going to keep coming back to you. Make it easy for him. Don't run those banana routes. There you go. No banana routes. Uh, what, what are you rolling your eyes at, Mike? You're not, you don't, oh, I, you're rolling your eyes. I feel like you weren't enjoying uh, the analysis there from Sirianni. I didn't roll my eyes. I was, I was following along. Oh, okay. You were shaking your head. I didn't, were you shaking your head about the banana route? You don't like yeah, banana no, routes no, either. Don't do banana routes. No, yeah. do, I, I didn't notice this at first, but I hear some Gruden in there with Sirianni. Well, it's because, you know, Gruden says banana. Well, he's, yeah, but he, it, just this cadence. He's got kind of that Gruden uh, cadence to him. And then at night, we're able to be here all day. There you go. Um, but uh, another thing that Nick Sirianni loves, and this is something that I actually do think can translate over and is something players will respond to and is going to be important with how he connects with the locker room, which that is such an important thing. I think that's the most important thing for a head coach. Um, it's what Doug had and it's what Chip didn't have. Like Chip intellectually, many people could say, you know, you'd think, well, Chip's just more intelligent or Chip, you know, uh, it has better schemes or whatever than Doug. But what Doug had that Chip didn't have was being able to, con to connect with players. Doesn't and, culture beat scheme anyway? Yeah, uh, well, that's what Chip <laughs> said, ironically. But Nick Sirianni, one of the things he is very much enthusiastic about 
is his players being excited for each other. Here's another uh, Nick Sirianni clip describing a play from last year. So this one right here is we're trying to push this ball downfield, as you can see, right? We got a route on, a very similar route with the deep cross. It's just people are getting there different ways, okay? We're trying to push this ball down the field with the play action. They do a good job of covering it. You can see Minka Fitzpatrick driving the crosser by Paris Campbell right here. But what we do right here is we get the ball to a guy with the ball in his hands off the check down because everybody sunk out of there, right? It's take what the defense gives us. The defense wants to give us an underneath, we'll take it. I like this clip that you picked right here because not every guy yards after catch looks the same. Mo Ali Cox looks different than Michael Pittman, looks different than T.Y. Hilton, right? So look at how he creates this. He creates this with power, right? He creates yards after catch with power. Right? Sink out of there. You can look at the emotion on the sideline. I love that. Let's Jason Michael, our tight go back. Go back. Look, that's Jason Michael, our tight end coach, because he's the tight end coach here. Look at look at the teammates. Look how much love they have for each other. That's Jack Doyle. Look how excited. That's Eric Ebron. Look how excited that tight end room is that Mo Alley Cox just got a little touch right there and bowled over the Steelers defense. Look at the energy it brings to the entire sideline. And one of those guys is me. I'm not I'm excited. All right. I'm just not as excited as those tight ends. Like, gosh, I gotta get myself that excited. That is awesome. Hopefully you can feel how excited I am right now. I love this guy. I'm telling you, I I I love Nick Sirianni. And I am rooting for him. Here's one more from Nick Sirianni. Uh, excited about his teammates getting ex- or his players getting excited for their teammates' success. Come on back. I want to see one more thing from the sideline. Right there. Okay, look at this. All these guys. This is right here in the top right. Can you see the Colts emblem in the top right? Yeah, yeah. sure. Okay. Those are all our practice squad guys right there. Because if COVID, they got the luxury box. Okay, they don't get that in a non-COVID year. All right? Because of COVID, they got a luxury box. And this that is so cool too, right? That's awesome. It's just such a team. It's just such a connecting thing together. He jumps in the stands. <laughs> you know what you should do? You should show this clip. And then you should show that picture of him jumping in the stands with all the guys on top of him. I mean, that's freaking awesome. All right? Because why? Michael made the play. T.Y. made the block. Mo Alley Cox made the block. Phillip made a great throw. But those guys in the corner of the end zone helped them get ready for the practice all week long, which is so cool. Now, I don't know. Time will tell if Nick Sirianni can coach or not. But I love his enthusiasm. Like, it's hard to not feel his enthusiasm. I mean, the guy seriously does care. And, you know, I certainly don't think work ethic will be a problem with Nick Sirianni. Um and I think he might, I'm starting to think he might be a pretty good coach. Like, and I know it's, it's hard to base that off of these kind of clips, but I don't put much stock into those press conferences. I frankly don't really care how he speaks to the media. If he's a little nervous, that's Nick Sirianni in his environment. That's the environment that he's going to be in. That's him being in the locker room, talking to players, those kind of those kind of things, and when he's in those kind of environments, talking to players, breaking down film, that's where he's comfortable. And the fact that those players will be able to feel that kind of passion, feel that he cares about him, it's obvious that he cares about his players. When he looks back at last year and he names every guy, and um, you know, is is talking about how much they meant to uh, getting ready to make that play happen. Uh, 
it's hard not to root for the guy. And um, I'm starting to get a little more excited about Nick Sirianni, the coach, and uh, I liked some of the things he said in terms of molding his scheme to fit his players. I'm interested to see what he can do with Jalen Hurts and that kind of offense because obviously he didn't run that type of offense. Uh, His quarterbacks in uh, Indianapolis were not mobile guys, whether it was uh, Brissett or Rivers, and even with Andrew Luck, that's not a guy they really wouldn't wanted running a whole lot uh, because of his injury history. But uh, I, I enjoyed those clips from Nick Sirianni and wanted to play those for you because uh, I'm starting to get a little excited. I'm starting to get more um, encouraged uh, by the coach and what he could end up being with the Eagles. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Uh, talking uh, Eagles, if you want to get in and your thoughts on Nick Sirianni and if you saw those clips, uh, what you thought of them. Uh, a lot of people you know, might think they're they're hokey or a little, you know, over the top, but I just think it's a guy who cares and a guy that loves ball. Uh, so uh, if you want to get in on that, you're welcome to. Also, we'll get back to the Phillies. Still got to talk a little more Sixers, um, but we'll get to all that stuff in the 4 o'clock hour here. 215-592-9494. Chad will be first right after the break. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. Filling in for Big Daddy Graham on a Wednesday morning. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. In a couple minutes, we'll get back to the Phillies. If you're just waking up, uh, we'll fill you in on what's a pretty oddly managed game by Joe Girardi last night. And um, this is a day where, I mean, I think Joe Girardi should get torched. Uh, because what he did did not make any sense to me in regards to trying to win a game. If you're trying to win every game and and um, doing what's best for your team and what was a very winnable game, you don't do what Joe Girardi did last night. And I'll explain that uh, in a little further detail in a minute, go through the timeline of how things went down. Um, but I thought it was a really poorly managed game by the Phillies manager and uh, just kind of a continuation of Joe Girardi's tenure in Philadelphia, which, you know, you can excuse it away. You can say that he hasn't had a bullpen. You can, you know, uh, make whatever excuse you want for Joe Girardi. He hasn't done a good job so far here. And uh, what he did on Tuesday night uh, made absolutely no sense. So we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Also, uh, we just played you the Nick Sirianni sound. If you were um, at all swayed, encouraged, discouraged, uh, your thoughts on Nick Sirianni uh, breaking down tape from last year. Uh, There's some fun clips. And uh, regardless of what he's going to be as a coach, um, too early to tell, obviously. we got to see him coach game first. Um, but uh, he's a likable guy, and the enthusiasm is, is you know, something that, that really draws you to him. And uh, it's going to be an easy guy to root for. So if you want to get in on that, you're welcome to. Let's go to Chad in Texas. What's up, Chad? Hey, Tom. 
Uh, I'm just waking up, so I'm, I'm not really, I haven't gathered all my thoughts. But uh, Nick is, you know, a lot of people forget he's only 40 years old. And we're talking about a guy here that was called on vacation whenever they brought him in, did his press conference. And we all know people that are really, really smart, but they might not necessarily be the best public speakers. Sure. And go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, sure, yeah, that's that, that's certainly the case to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, and, and so he, he kind of got thrust out there into the limelight. I don't know necessarily if he was just not prepared, or and now he's just kind of in this funk as far as a, a, a approaching the press and things of that nature. But, um, you know, that, that, that doesn't take away from his intelligence, I don't think, you know, as, as far as being a coach and his enthusiasm. Uh, but but we all know people like that that are really really smart. But that you put them in front of a, a a group of people and speaking in public, and also it can be quite intimidating, especially being forty years old. And and knowing that the road that he has to go down and the rebuild phase that they're currently in with with Jalen and you know pretty much everybody trying out for their job and and, and trying to build a solid roster for that team, you know. Yeah, no, Chad, and, you know, that's why the overreaction to the press conference I thought was crazy. You know, some guys just don't um, have much experience in that setting, like you said, aren't great public speakers, and I'm much less concerned about what Nick Sirianni says in a press conference or how he comes off to the media, and I'm much more concerned about what he is seeing when he watches tape and what he is willing to do to, to match the scheme of his offense to his talent. And when you, you know, see things like that and the way he kind of breaks it down, um, you know, I think that is, that, that is uh, encouraging. And, and furthermore, to your point, um, I wanted to say this additionally, something that was going through my mind uh, later in the draft, as far as like solidifying certain positions, you know, they have offensive linemen that are, that are better at pass blocking. And then you've got guys that can run block and uh, get up field. Do you think with our offensive scheme, with Sirianni and everybody, and Jalen, <clears throat> that we would draft according to getting pass blockers or, or linemen that can get up field and, and block for our uh, runners, you know, Sanders and everything like that? And, and by the way, I think Sanders needs a power back to complement him. Yeah, no, no. Uh, and- and they're yeah. going to need to, yeah, no, I appreciate it, Chad. Thanks. And yeah, they're going to, I mean, probably look to, to add uh, to the running back position. And when the Eagles look at offensive linemen, I think they're always looking at guys who can pass block. I mean, this is a passing league. Um, you're always looking for guys who can protect the quarterback. And uh, yeah, I expect the Eagles to add to the offensive line uh, throughout the draft. And, you know, you look at the offensive line and, and, I know they were criticized a lot last year. I don't think the offensive line's in that bad a position heading into this season at all. I mean, if they come back with any sense of health, I mean, they're going to be in a good spot. When you look at Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks, you know, you get Kelsey back, Sayamalu, uh, Malata, and then, you know, Driscoll, I thought was a guy who played well when he when he was in there last year. Um, you get Dillard back, hopefully he can take a step, uh, and, you know, if not start, uh, probably is your swing tackle, uh, and hopefully he uh, is healthy coming off the injury. And I like some of the depth they had off have at offensive line, and I certainly think they'll look to add to it 
um, as well. And, you know, uh, I think they'll look to add to, to a lot of spots on that offense. I think uh, receiver in the first round is probably where they go. If Devontae Smith's there, that's the guy I think they're going to take. And I think there is a pretty good chance uh, that he's going to end up being there. I think a lot of quarterbacks are going to go early. Um, I'd be surprised if five quarterbacks don't go in the top 11. And uh, I think it only makes all the all the more sense that the Eagles move back, where you're going to have your pick of a lot of good options at number 12. And, um, you know, when you look at a team like Atlanta now, is looking to move out of the number four spot. That could be a spot somebody moves up for a quarterback. Um, you know, Carolina is at eight. They probably won't draft a quarterback if they stay there, but that's another spot a team could move into. And, uh, yeah, I'd be sur- surprised if, if at least four um, quarterbacks aren't picked before the Eagles and probably five. And the more quarterbacks that go before them, uh, the better it bodes. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Open lines right now uh, if you want to jump in. But I do want to recap for anybody who is just waking up. What happened in the Phillies game last night? Because this was a frustrating one. It's the Phillies end up losing to the Mets 8-4. to But this game could have gone much differently. Uh, as the Phillies behind 2-0, uh, D.D. Gregorius, a home run, makes it 2-1. to And then... The sixth inning is kind of where this the the story from this game begins. As Vince Velasquez comes on to make his first appearance of the year in place of Chase Anderson. It goes pretty well in the sixth. Uh, strikes out the first two hitters, and here's how Vince Velasquez ended uh, his first inning of the season. One ball, two strikes. Velasquez ready. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out, and Vince Velasquez... Joins this remade Phillies bullpen, and he strikes out the side in order. Now, at that point, everything's looking good. It's like the bullpen uh, pitching well is contagious to where it's even uh, having an effect on Vince Velasquez. He comes up three three up, three down. uh, A job well done. And anybody who has seen Vince Velasquez, seen the arc of his career, knows how it typically goes when Vince Velasquez on the mound would know it's probably a good time to get him out. You don't get greedy with Vince Velasquez. He gets you through one inning. I think you're thankful for that, and you go to your late-inning guys. But Joe Girardi elected not to do that. Stays with Vince Velasquez for the seventh. Which, if you want to try that, fine. But you have to be ready for the pending implosion that we all know is going to happen. Vince Velasquez walks not one hitter, not two hitters, but three hitters, loads the bases. Still, nobody up in the bullpen getting ready to relieve him, and what ended up happening, we could have all predicted. Here's the pitch. Fastball low, ball four, and the Mets have another run. As Vince Velasquez has walked four hitters in the inning, and Guillaume scores. It's 3-1 to one New York. Four hitters walked by Vince Velasquez, and (laughs) it's kind of amazing. And this shows you how ridiculous it is that he was left in this long. I was watching the ESPN broadcast, and Tim Kirkshin was on the broadcast, and he's like the the greatest stat guy of all time. Did you know, Mike, this is the first line. Uh, This is the first time anybody's ever had this Vince Velasquez line. Inning in the third, 
um, charged with four runs, four earned, four walks, four strikeouts. Nobody in the history of baseball has ever had that line. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It was a pretty crazy line. It's insane. And the fact that Joe Girardi left him in that long, didn't have anybody warming up, is absolutely ridiculous. Basically conceded the game. When you were down one run in the seventh inning, we saw the night before, this Mets bullpen is fragile. That's a susceptible bullpen that you can score off of. Phillies did it the night before. Came back from two runs down in the eighth inning and won the game. Joe Girardi elected to stick with Vince Velasquez instead of go to the guys in his bullpen. And his explanation after the game was complete nonsense. Here was Joe Girardi after the game on why he elected to stick with Velasquez. Well, the choice are, is, is Vinny or David in, in that situation. And that um, part of the order had been kind of tough to, on David. So I decided to go with Vinny. And after he goes through the sixth, and, and I would have used Vinny probably for the third inning had he went through the seventh. Um, just because of knowing you know, we have relievers down today. Um, we'll probably have some more down tomorrow that you'd like to have another long guy um, in a sense. And that would have been David Hale for tomorrow, but I don't know if I'll have him now. So it's kind of, we had five relievers that I was comfortable using. Didn't really want to use Kinsler for much because of yesterday, the one and two thirds. And, you, and you know, you have to live with that and figure out a way to get through it. And that reasoning makes no sense. First of all, I don't know why in the seventh inning in a one-run game, Vince Velasquez and David Hale are your only options there. He said, well, the other option was David. Why are you using long relievers in the seventh inning? Like, if you're in the fourth, fifth inning, then yeah, I understand you need a guy who can go out, take down multiple innings to kind of get you to your high-leverage guys late. We're not talking about that situation. We're talking about a 2-1 ball game in the top of the seventh. And when you look at the guys that are available, Joe Girardi had guys available. The only guys that weren't available going into that game, he said before the game, Jose Alvarado threw 20-plus pitches in the ninth. He was out. He was not going to be able to pitch. Understandable. He pitched a lot in the ninth inning. He would pitched a lot over the weekend. You understand why Alvarado is not going to go in that spot. Coonrod had pitched two days the day prior. If you don't want to use him, I understand that. But you're talking about in the seventh inning, you have at this point, Velasquez had gotten one out. You have eight outs to go. You have Kinsler, who he says he didn't want to use, but he ended up using anyway. So Kinsler was obviously available. You have Connor Brogdon, who threw nine pitches on Monday. That's the only only time he's worked since opening day was nine pitches on Monday. He's at full strength to go. You have Archie Bradley, who had not pitched since Saturday. You have Hector, who wasn't available on Monday, so he would be available on Tuesday. Yet with all those options, Joe Girardi elected to stick with Vince Velasquez. And you know where that is going with Vince Velasquez. We have seen this Velasquez's entire career. And... You know, Velasquez, I at least give him credit. He talked about it after the game. Here's Vince Velasquez postgame on his performance. You know, got in that battle, and I, I totally lost it. It's just something I, I kind of need to get off the mound and kind of just regroup. Um, that's something that, you know, right out of 
right out of the shoot, I was pretty much in, in that wind-up phase, and I felt like I was in total control. And once I went into the stretch, there's been some things that I was kind of working on, you know, from just a day-to-day basis to get ready and just kind of mixing some things. Just I started aiming and got behind the count. And again, I take full blame of, you know, the whole situation. This game could have been, you know, a closer deficit and I take full responsibility for that. You know, three, four, three, four straight walks is, is not acceptable at all. You know, in, in, in this town, Philadelphia, I mean, they, they want, com- they want competitors and I'm one of those guys that could compete, but that's, that's totally unnecessary on my behalf. And, you know, I, I give Velasquez credit for, for calling it the way it is after the game. And yeah, it is on him for walking those batters, but I'm not, nearly as irritated with Velasquez as I am with Girardi. Because we all know what Vince Velasquez is. We all knew that was going to happen with Velasquez. We've been seeing it for five years now. The fact that Joe Girardi didn't see it coming, or he did and he chose to concede, and that's what I think actually happened here. And that makes absolutely no sense to me. And it makes even less sense when you think, what do you have upcoming? You have a game on Wednesday where you have Aaron Nola pitching. You'd think Aaron Nola can get you through six or seven innings. That's why, I mean, all I hear when I say I don't think Aaron Nola's a real ace is um, that I'm crazy. Okay, well, if Aaron Nola's an ace, why are you conserving all your bullpen guys for Wednesday? Why are you conserving all these guys for the final game? You have Nola pitching Wednesday, then you have an off day on Thursday. And you don't want to use your relievers? In a 2-1 game in the seventh inning? It doesn't make any sense. And I know what the what, what it's going to be on Wednesday. It's going to be Velasquez, get him out of here. And I don't disagree with that. I don't think Velasquez should have been brought back. He shouldn't be on this roster. But at what point are we going to start to recognize that this manager, who was supposed to be this big-time difference maker, Joe Girardi's going to improve this game by 10 games. Get rid of Kapler's analytics, coconut oil, all this nonsense. At what point are we going to admit Joe Girardi's done a bad job here? We're 65 games in to the Joe Girardi tenure. And he's been terrible. He was terrible last year. You can look at the bullpen. You can look at the fact that there weren't a lot of guys out there. Same guys that were there in 18 and 19. And I didn't hear Kapler getting these same excuses. And this is not a pro-Kapler thing. This is an anti-Girardi thing. At what point do we start to recognize and, and, and start to call it the way it is that Joe Girardi has not done a good job in Philadelphia? And I think we, we, we kind of just give him the benefit of the doubt because, oh, well, he won a World Series in New York. He had success with the Yankees. He had success with the Marlins. I don't really care about what he did in those stops. I care what he does in Philadelphia. And so far, the, the, the returns on what Girardi has done, either last year or early on this year, uh, not very good. And Tuesday night, I don't know what he was thinking, leaving Vince Velasquez in that game. That was a very winnable game. If the Phillies keep that at one run, they can come back in the late inning with their lineups. In the late innings with their lineup, they can certainly tie that game up and go in front. We saw it the night before. Joe Girardi didn't give him a chance, um, and I do not understand 
why he elected to manage that game the way he did. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. And I want your thoughts on Joe Girardi and the job he did Tuesday night. That is a Joe Girardi loss. Don't mistake it for anything. That is, um, in the end, not on Velasquez nearly as much as it is Girardi. You got to know your players. You got to know you get one inning out of Velasquez. Be thankful and move on. You send him out for a second inning, you're asking for trouble. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham on a uh, Wednesday morning. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Talking a lot of Phillies throughout the course of the show tonight. And I'm interested to hear what the takes are on Wednesday in regards to Joe Girardi. I am. And, uh, you know, are we finally going to criticize the um, seemingly infallible uh, Joe Girardi, because, you know, we're 65 games in to his tenure. And I mean, last year, you know, didn't get a lot of criticism. And uh, I don't think he did a very good job. Um, but, uh, you know, he didn't seem to take a lot of blame, seemed to skate uh, plenty on the team's performance last year. And I'm interested to hear um, what uh, ends up happening on Wednesday, because uh, this was a game that it was a Joe Girardi loss. I mean, he conceded. Um, and I don't understand, uh, what do you think of this aspect of it, Mike? And I do want to get to the Sixers in a minute here, but the idea of saving all these guys, when you have Nola pitching on Wednesday, followed by an off day, like if you have Nola for Wednesday, and I know you're more of the mindset that you weren't as bothered by this as I was, but no, I'm not bothered at all. Okay. But if you have Nola on Wednesday, wouldn't that make sense that you can kind of use some of these guys? No, you want to stack the deck, I think. I think instead of, um, I think, I don't know if this is accurate. I'm just going to, you know, just round up or whatever. Instead of like maybe going in with a 60% chance of winning, you want to look at it and go with like 80%. But I mean, but this is stack the back end of the game. This is another part of it too, though. Like, just because Bradley pitches on on uh, Tuesday, I mean, he could still go Wednesday. You're going to have Alvarado back on Wednesday. Hector just got a day off on Monday. He should be good to go. So, uh, you know, my argument would be, okay, maybe Brogdon would be down because he just pitched on Monday. If he pitches again Tuesday, maybe he would be unavailable Wednesday. Yeah, but, right. I mean, hey, if Knowles is your ace, Knowles can't get you through six, seven innings. I mean, uh, all I hear is that Aaron Knowles is one of the best pitchers in baseball. That's why you have him. From who? <laughs> everybody. Are you kidding me? Not, everybody talks on, about everybody. Aaron Nola as being a Cy Young candidate. Wait, not you don't everybody. think he is? Not everybody you, we, says Aaron Nola is a we Cy Young We were just Young arguing candidate. last week, and you were telling me he's an ace. I didn't say he was an ace. You, you, you didn't tell me he was an ace last week? No. I, I, to me, he's like a 1B. You don't think he's a starter you should be able to rely on to get you through six, seven innings? That's not what I said. Okay, I, but, but okay. Well, let, let's rephrase. Okay, that part I agree with. Okay. So... Uh, it does. So you don't think uh, you you need to have all your bullpen guys ready in case Nola gets in trouble. You, you don't. Well, to, uh, 
You're you're not bothered by it. The fact that Nola didn't even start tonight shows that they didn't. You know they weren't going all out to win this game. Like it's it's game five of the season. They want to throw Anderson out and see what they had in him. Yeah, but once you get in the seventh inning, you're down two one. It's a winnable game. Like you're just going to ride Velasquez out and just say, I, "Hey, I Velasquez that, walks in a run. That's right. fine. Game over. Right. We'll go get him tomorrow." I and I think this is where a lot of managers become guilty of. They go into a game with a game plan, and um, you know they don't. If a game's there to win it, I don't. They don't. Some guys do it. Like the Twins do it sometimes. The Brewers do it. They, they don't seize the game. Like I don't know. Girardi was was guilty of it. I thought Kapler was like sometimes they just if a game. They don't really draw it up to try and win it. They just kind of let it go. Yeah, I and I don't. I don't it's, know. It's a very Philly straight, I guess. I don't get that. I mean, I, I don't get it. But uh, if you want to get in, I'd, I'd love your take on it. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. I did want to get to the Sixers real quick. Here is we haven't talked a lot of Sixers so far tonight, but um, Sixers beat the Celtics on the road. One oh six ninety six. Sixers sweep the season series with the Celtics and. This was a very enjoyable game to watch. Um, it's pretty hilarious watching the Celtics and how far they've fallen. I mean, it's amazing the fortunes of these two teams and how much it has changed since the Celtics swept the Eagles in the bubble. I mean, that was just, what, seven months ago that that happened? And you look at it now, these two teams couldn't be any further apart in the other direction where uh, I, I don't know what Boston is doing. I don't know what their strategy was at the trade deadline. Uh, I don't think Daniel Tice is great, but the fact that they're going to trade their only big man, the only guy that may have had any shot uh, to slow down Joel Embiid, uh, you get rid of him and the guys that they were throwing at Embiid on Tuesday night were absolutely comical uh it's luke Cornette. it's um uh, uh i can't taco fall robert williams and mb just dominated he did whatever he wanted to got to the line whenever he wanted to and the sixers ended up uh just taking over this game it was uh tied up in the second quarter um pretty tight first half and then it was like the sixers just decided all right we're taking this game over we're uh ending this thing and they did. And that Boston team, they look like they have just lost their fight. Uh, they didn't respond at all, whether it was Tatum, Brown, um, any of the Celtics. They just look mentally shot at this point. And uh, the Sixers end up blowing out the Celtics and take the season series from Boston. And uh, one of the interesting parts of this game was uh, Embiid and getting to the line as much as he did. And he missed some free throws, and he was frustrated about it. Like, Embiid after the game was quoted as saying, I should be a 90% free throw shooter. Every miss I have, I'm pissed off. And I hear that, and I just wish that Ben Simmons would have that same mentality. Because if I see any Achilles heel for this team, and I think this team is absolutely capable of winning the NBA Finals this year. The way Joel Embiid is playing, the way he is dominating, um, he is as unstoppable a force in this league as we have seen in a long time. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Shaq back 20 years ago. Like There is really nobody who can guard him 
when he is on and when he is when he is healthy and when he is going strong. And this team has a real opportunity, but if they have an Achilles heel, it is Ben Simmons. And the Ben Simmons regression offensively is really concerning. Where again, not really attacking the basket, did a better job on Tuesday night, but struggling from the free throw line, not making his foul shots. And this was a an area of his game that I really thought he had turned a corner. I thought Ben Simmons had improved to the point where this wouldn't really be an issue anymore. Where last year, he's shooting 80% from the line over the course of, uh, you know, the three weeks before the league got shut down. And he has gone back to this state where he goes to the line and you can't trust him to make free throws. And in the playoffs, Ben Simmons is going to need to make free throws. Like the Sixers are going to need him to attack and he is going to need to convert when he gets to the line. And the fact that he isn't right now is very concerning. Because, you know, Embiid and Tobias Harris, they can do the bulk of the work and they will. And, you know, Danny Green will hit some shots. Seth Curry will hit some shots. Hopefully, George Hill, if he ever plays, will hit some shots. Um, uh, not great news on that front. It sounds like George Hill is still um, a little ways away from playing here, uh, which is a little frustrating considering he was their big trade deadline acquisition. Um, but the lack of development by Ben Simmons at the line is something that is frustrating. And... Uh, I worry about him in the playoffs, letting this team down when it matters, uh, because they are going to need him to hit free throws. They are going to need him to attack the basket. And if he's not making a foul shots, teams will be more than happy to send him to the line. Uh, it's a much better option for them than having to, uh, to defend Joel Embiid or the Sixer shooters in the half court. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's go to Adrian. What's up, Adrian? I'm Kelly. What's up? What's fact, maybe I should call you Tom. Uh, Stockton. Tom Stockton? Yeah, what you just, yeah, Dick Stockton, Tom Stockton. You know how you kill Dick Stockton all the time when he makes blunders on calling plays and stuff like that? Of course. You just said, you just said the Boston swept the Eagles in the bubble. <laughs> oh, did, oh, did I really? That's my bad. That's my bad, Adrian. I'm sorry if I did that. I didn't think I, uh, I didn't catch up on that. Oh, man, that's, that's what's right. I said, I got to call him and get him for that one. You know, <laughs> The thank you. you, you I deserved it. You know, I don't. You know, Maury, like, I, 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 I don't like the trade that he made, the homie. I really don't like the trade that he made. But I just watched the Pelicans pick up Isaiah Thomas. Why did we pick up a guy like that that actually is healthy and ready to play? We get a guy. We don't even know when this guy going to show up, and gave away a healthy player. I yeah, mean, I mean, I don't. I mean, Adrian, I don't want Isaiah Thomas. I'm not. I'm not that worried about giving up Tony Bradley, but I mean, it is frustrating that you don't go out and get somebody that can help you now. Like I'm assuming the Sixers knew that George Hill was hurt. And I mean, it doesn't sound, I mean, doc said on Tuesday, he's nowhere close. I mean, we got what? Six, six weeks left in the regular season here. Let me ask you this. So do you, you so you say you, you think George Hill is better than Isaiah Thomas? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, George Hill. People give George Hill so much credit. I, 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 when had you have you ever seen George Hill come up big in a game? 
like in a, a meaningful game. I mean, no. he hit some big shots. I mean, he, he he's he's on good teams all the time. Like he's a and guy they never who win. Look, he, he get on good teams and they never win. But he's a guy who can defend <laughs> and can do stuff. Isaiah Thomas can't play defense, Adrian. That's all we need guys to shoot to, to make shots, man. We just need shot makers. Man. But Adrian, uh, he, he, Isaiah Thomas isn't really a shot guy. He's like a point guard who you know uh, runs the team. He's not really a great shot maker from the outside. Well, what is George Hill? But George Hill is at least somebody, but he's the same. But George Hill can make shots, like he's a shooter, so when, and he can defend. Like so when, that's a whole. Po- but the whole let point, Adrian, this. is having a guy who can defend on that end. You do you that. That's why well, the Sixers got you. Healthy is this guy going to play this year? No, I would have <laughs> rather got. Point. I would have rather got somebody who could help you. I just disagree on Isaiah Thomas. Uh, I don't know, man. I just think. I mean, he put a lot of pressure on the defense. He's going to hit wide open shots. I mean, I just don't think Morby was real creative. Like, he's supposed to be this creative guy that's going to go out there and get us a guy that's going to truly help us, and we come up with George Hill. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's it's <laughs> frustrating. And they, <laughs> the fact that it doesn't look like they're going to get anybody on the buyout market uh, is yeah, a little frustrating. Like, he's supposed to be so creative. He's supposed to do something, get some guys to help the team. I mean, I, I, I just said Isaiah Thomas, I seen him the other night playing with the Pelicans, knocking shots down. Uh, I don't know, but I, I, I just – I don't know, man. I'll I, I tell you what. So, Danny Ames, he hoodwinked us a couple of years ago when, when we did that trade and all that stuff, but they just came back and smacked him in the face because he did nothing since then. And Danny, that's why Boston is as bad as they are. No, they are a- Adrian, it is crazy. I mean, just <laughs> watching them, they look lifeless. They, they, look, <laughs> they look like a dead team out there, um, and – you know, their lack of, of bigs in the middle, it's incredible. They had nobody who could even do anything with Embiid. See these guys, they were throwing out there. I'm like, where did they even get these guys? Uh, like, Luke Cornett out there guarding Embiid is just, like, hilarious. Danny ain't supposed to be this great, great GM and all this sort of stuff. He did nothing since they got Tatum. Absolutely. I think he actually just traded away all the good players because I thought they should probably should have kept Rozier. Um, and they should have never. I don't think they should have never got um, the kid they got from Charlotte because uh, he hasn't. He hasn't been nothing what they thought he was going to be. Um, he's been in and out of the line. I'm hurt. Uh, what was his name? Number eight, the point guard from from Charlotte. They got. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's not ringing a bell right now. Anyway, anyway it's not ringing yeah. a bell to me. But he hasn't been nothing. He hasn't been anything that he thought. That he was going to be, that he thought that they, he was going to be part of their big three, and he, you know, he just came. Oh yeah, Kemba Walker. Kemba yeah. Walker. Yeah. So he came up kind of lame. You know what I mean? I thought they should have kept Rose there. Um, they most definitely should have kept them bangs and them big guys that used to give him big trouble. Used to put, you know, push him out of the pain and stuff like that. I, I, I don't know, man. Uh, I, I'm not worried about Boston. If we have to see Boston, that that'll be a sweep. Yeah, that'll be a sweep. No, um, I don't think they listening to the coach neither. No, and I appreciate it, Adrian. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, if the Sixers take on Boston, I think they make pretty easy work of them. Like, I think Boston will probably get in the playoffs just because, you know, you have Tatum and Brown, and, and that is probably enough to get you there. But, man, they have they have completely fallen apart this year. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't believe, of, you know, how much different of a place Boston's in uh, and how much of a different place the Sixers in, are in since uh, Boston swept the Sixers last year in Orlando. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Uh, we were talking a lot about uh, Joe Girardi tonight. 
But we do have a Gabe Kapler check-in, I believe, coming up next. So we'll uh, hear from Gabe coming up next. I wonder if Gabe's been conceding any games lately. Um, because we know if, if if Gabe was here on Tuesday night, uh, it would have been a, ri- uh, a, a Gabe slaughter on Wednesday. So we'll uh, hear and get a check-in on the Giants. I have no clue what the Giants have done so far. So uh, we'll get an update coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. In for Big Daddy Graham. Another couple segments here before we uh, talk to Al for the Overlap Show. Get his thoughts on what happened uh, last night. But now it is time for our uh, Gabe check-in. And um, Mike, you you were hard at work before the show uh, searching for what Gabe had to say. First off, uh, can we get a Giants update? What What is going on with the San Francisco Giants right now. How's their season started out? Uh, two and three thus far, I believe. Two and three or, or two and four. But they, uh, yeah, they won a game over the weekend with who they open with. The uh, the the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, that's right. They won a game out in Seattle, and then um, I think they, they've won a game so far in uh, against the Padres. Lost the other night when uh, Tatis got hurt. Right, and uh, Tatis is going to be okay. It looks like, right? It's not going to be a, a really. He, yeah, long he time. thinks he could have played tonight, but the Padres uh, were being cautious. Okay, yeah. makes uh, sense. So he he should be back. But uh, has Gabe had any controversies? Uh, the way Joe Girardi is now facing down a controversy in Philadelphia. Well, I mean, he he blew opening day, so he he got his you know bad game out of the way day one. Okay. Uh, so what do we have for the check-in today? So a bit of an animal theme here with Gabe. Uh, Gabe referencing his pets in two different cuts here. Um, this is courtesy of Giant Splash. Uh, they're going to call up. So what's going on here is they're going to bring up a tweet Gabe has from eight years ago. And I looked this up. This is, in fact, a tweet from his. And they ask him if he still stands by the take or if he would adjust it. So number one, you kind of got dragged by the dog people here. I think you, this was a joke that people didn't like. But first tweet from October 2013. I don't say goodbye to my dog when I leave the house because he's not a human. Your I thoughts on that? <laughs> I think that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, I might, I might probably come off that position a little bit. I, I mean, okay. I don't have a dog now. But I would love to, I would love to have a dog again. And... I think at that point I was, you know, you're talking about what 2013. So I was reading a lot. There was a lot of a lot of science uh, behind that. You know, dogs not really knowing when you were around and when you weren't. And look, I don't know if that's true or if it's not. But I made a I made a definitive statement based on something that I was reading. That doesn't surprise me. Um, shoot, like that's eight years ago now, and I swear I change from month to month, and I really, really will come off um, old position. So. Yeah, that's my take on that one. Okay, so so he uh, would would uh, say goodbye to his dog, I guess, if he had to do it over again. <laughs> Sounds like it, yeah. All right, here's another one. Uh, they asked him if he bought any chickens, because I guess at one point he expressed uh, an interest in doing so. He didn't do it in San Francisco, but he did do it at his home in Malibu, and a uh, bit of an unfortunate ending to the chickens. Yeah, I did that. Um, you did, and, uh, yeah, but not not in San, not in San Francisco. I did it at my house in Malibu, and I had 
and I loved it and got, uh, I had amazing eggs, but I also had, um, at the time a, a really large pit bull. And, um, there was like a bit of a, um, a game of tag going on between the coyotes in Malibu and, um, and my dog at the time. And so the coyotes were kind of like trying to stake the claim to the land. And my, my pit bull foos was like, um, he, he was not having it, but I think he was being as protective as he could of the chickens, but ultimately the coyotes won, uh, won the game and got to the chickens oh. and, and that was the end of the coop. Okay. So, uh, Gabe, uh, I, I had a little trouble following there. So his chickens were, you know, unfortunately, uh, bested by the coyotes. The, is, is the what coyotes ate the chicken. Yes. That's, that's what I thought. Thank you for saying it that, uh, <laughs> that bluntly, Mike, that's what I thought. I, I don't know. I didn't expect Gabe to be a, a chicken guy. Like, did, did he have chickens? Uh, that, that's surprising to me. Yeah, no, that was the, because uh, they were looking up uh, old tweets of his, and I guess at one time he tweeted about his chickens. Okay. All right. Well, what else do we have? Um, he. Uh, this is kind of funny. He just kind of thanks them for roasting him. One, one, thing, that, one thing that stands out is um, I, I, I think that, those style of, of tweets and, and these kinds of discussions are, are really important. And I'm like actually really excited that we're, we're having this chat <laughs> um, because it's just good, a good reminder to like be playful, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so thanks for, thanks for allowing for that. Okay. So Gabe enjoyed the playfulness and enjoyed the, uh, uh, the, the break from hardcore baseball talk. Yeah. So uh, in addition to big uh, goat guys, big chicken guy, I know you're a big goat guy, right? There you go. And is that, that's all we have today, I'm assuming, from Gabe? Yeah, I thought that was good enough. Yeah, no, yeah. sounds good. So uh, appreciate it. That's the Gabe check-in. Uh, when we get back, we'll kind of recap some of the things we've been discussing throughout the course of the night. And also, I want to do, um, throughout ESPN released this top 10 list of players under 25 uh, in the NBA. And, I mean, I don't really understand one of the rankings on this list, neither does uh, our buddy Stephen A. Smith, who went on a, a pretty epic rant uh, on, I guess it was on first take. Uh, so we'll play that when we get back. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly with you for one more segment here before we uh, talk to Al for the Overlap Show. Uh, Time to squeeze in a few calls if you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Catch you up on what happened on Tuesday night. Um, Good night for the Sixers as they beat the Celtics in Boston. Uh, Joel Embiid looking great uh, since his return 35 points, another really strong effort, um, and the Sixers keep rolling. Tied with the Nets uh, for first place in the East. Not a good night for the other Philadelphia teams. Flyers lose 4-2 to to Boston. I mean, let's face it at this point, Flyers are done. Uh, they, they have had their opportunity. Boston has dealt with a bunch of COVID issues, um, and uh, the Flyers get an overtime win on Monday night. They lose on Tuesday night, and if this team was going to turn it around, they would have turned it around already. I think they are a dead team walking. I do not think they are going to the playoffs. And uh, turning out to be one of the more disappointing seasons 
in Philadelphia history. Coming out of last year, it looked like this team was was primed to uh, go on a run moving forward and um, not going to the playoffs this year if that does end up being the result, which certainly looks like it will be. Um, extremely disappointing uh, considering uh, what they did last year going to seven with the Islanders. Seemed like a jumping off point for something better, um, but does not uh, look like it's going to go that route this year. So um, the, that's what happened with the Flyers and with the Phillies. An 8-4 to four loss, but a, a controversial one, as very questionable decision-making by Joe Girardi uh, as the Phillies trailing 2-1 to one in the seventh, a very winnable game, leaves Vince Velasquez in for his second inning. Velasquez walks four hitters in the inning, walks in a run, by the time he finally goes to the bullpen, the damage had already been done. The game already got away. And, I mean, he basically conceded the game uh, to save his bullpen guys for today. And what good does that do you if Aaron Nola goes out and, you know, does what you would hope Aaron Nola would do is go through seven, eight strong innings? And then what did you rest these guys for? You had Archie Bradley, you had Connor Brogdon, Hector Naris. All these guys were available. All these guys could have pitched for you in the late innings. This is not the fifth inning and three-run game. This is a uh, seventh inning, two-to-one ball game. You saw the night before, uh, that Mets bullpen is nothing special. You can get to them. And I do not understand why Joe Girardi did not go to his bullpen earlier um, and allowed Vince Velasquez to stay in when we all knew what was going to happen if you trust Velasquez for that long. So uh, talk about that. In a few minutes, we will get to this uh, top 10 under 25 NBA list and play this rant from Stephen A. And Mike and I will also give you a couple picks for the Masters if you're uh, looking to place a wager. Uh, Are you a big golf guy, Mike? Are you uh, well prepared for, for, for the Masters this week? I'm a uh, I'm not a zero golf guy. I'm a very very tiny golf guy. I'm not very. Uh... So you're a major guy. You check in on the majors. No, I I other people talk about them around me, and I kind of absorb it. So you won't watch like a Sunday at the Masters if it's close and it's got like a bunch of big names in contention. That doesn't even doesn't even you know rouse you up a little bit. No, there's usually baseball or you know the NBA on. There's actually hmm. you know, like usually there's a. Like when Tiger won the Masters, there was NBA playoff games on. Yeah, there were. I was. I. 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 Uh, I guess I'm a little embarrassed to admit this. I actually was brought to shed shed some tears when Tiger won that Masters. I'm a huge Tiger fan. Okay. And when he won that Masters, that was that was that was one of my favorite sporting moments of all time. That was a great day too, because that was uh yeah the Masters during the day, and then it was the Game of Thrones season eight premiere that night. Phillies had like a thirteen or fourteen inning game. Yeah, Gene Segura Gene had a walk off homer no, in Miami. That was in Miami, it was in Miami, so it wasn't walk off. Okay, all right, but he had a homer to put him up. So at least I'll give me a little credit. Yeah, I'll give you that. A little credit for remembering <laughs> that game. You know, while you had tears in your eyes with Gene Segura homer. Well, it was a great day. It was a, I mean, it was a great day. I mean, it, the uh, Tiger winning the Masters. Philly's winning. My wife was out of town. Uh, you know, I was I, I was uh, d- d- having some beers, self-medicating. It was a nice day. Nice. So it, it was the day after Ben uh, told us if you're going to boost, stay on the other side. Yeah, yeah. I was. I was. That's right. After game one of that series against Brooklyn. Uh, yeah. I, I or against yeah against Brooklyn. That's right. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's go to uh, Charlie in Orland. What's up, Charlie? Hi, Tom. How are you tonight? Good. How you doing, man? 
Good, good. I I agree with you wholeheartedly about the Joe Girardi's moves last night. Keeping Vasquez in there was, was oh, pathetic. Oh, it's ridiculous. But even worse, letting Roman Quinn back. Oh, Charlie. I, I mean, how done are you with Roman Quinn? 0 for 8 Roman this Quinn. season. 0 for 8 with six strikeouts. That's like that. That's hard to do for a major leaguer. Roman Quinn. The only thing he would do for me would be the pinch runner in the tenth inning. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's a complete waste of time. Now, Charlie, are you are you ready to call for Odubel? Do you think they should bring Odubel up, send Roman Quinn down? Uh yeah. Or you know, uh, how bad can Mickey Moniak be? Yeah, the, I mean, the first over the number one draft pick in the entire draft, and he can't beat out Roman Quinn. No, I, and it could it could get to that point where they might go with Mickey Moniak. I mean, at this point, you you can't have Roman Quinn on the roster anymore. He just no, gives you nothing. He does nothing for you. No. So I appreciate it, Charlie. Thanks. Man. All right. Take You're it not- easy. Sorry, uh, but uh, yeah, that that I saw that was trending. The hashtag why not Mick uh, hashtag that is I believe a high hopes uh, a high hopes uh, creation. The why not Mick movement. Uh, that they have started. So, um, you know, uh, hopefully they, they end up being proven right on Mickey Moniak. That is so them to think that Moniak's better than Odubel. Well, I mean, I, I think it's more a Roman Quinn thing. Like, I think they're just big Moniak guys. And, you know... Uh, well, I mean, Odubel is between the two of them. Yeah, and how about this? I may have actually been texting some baseball takes with one of the High Hopes co-hosts who I've previously had a little... Uh, you know, a little, um, I, I, you know, uh, contention with. So, <laughs> okay. oh, you know, we might be, might be uh, burying the hatchet, so to speak. There you go. Yeah. A little, a little bonding. Little, yeah, yeah, a little bonding over Joe Girardi's uh, poor decisions. Uh, let's go to Harold in Seattle. What's up, Harold? Yo, Harold. All right, Harold uh, couldn't hang on, but Harold wanted to talk about Ben Simmons, and I wanted to get to this because... Did you see this list? The top 10 under 25 NBA players. Um, ben Simmons on this list. He is on there, but he comes in at number seven. And, you know, a, a, a lot of these are kind of accurate. Like, I have no problem with most of the guys that came over Ben. Number one is Luca. Number two, Zion. Like, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, De'Aaron Fox. All those guys are above Ben, are above ben Simmons. Um, below Ben Simmons, Devin Booker at number eight, which I don't necessarily agree with that. I'd probably put Booker over Simmons at this point. Um, Bam Adebayo, uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, they're nine and ten. But number three on this list is LaMelo Ball. And uh, what are your thoughts on on that, Mike? LaMelo Ball being above Donovan Mitchell, Tatum, Simmons, Fox, Booker. I mean, that even Bam, that's ridiculous. It's better than Mitchell, but I'm not sure he's better than the other guys yet. Oh, I mean, come on. The, the, the Mitchell thing, that's just a that's just a, a hate thing from way back with, with Ben with the rookie of the year. I mean, he's, he's good at like getting 30 points on like 32 shots, like whatever, if that's what you're looking for. I mean, he's a he's the best player on a on a really good team. Like he's their second best player, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's better than Gobert. Come on, Gobert's a Gobert stiff. matters more. He's a stiff. He matters more. He, he, Gobert's going to be uh, nothing in the playoffs. Like, who cares? No. So, no, well, Mitchell. Mitchell. Mitchell is at least a guy who can score and do some things. But regardless, <laughs> okay. Lamelo Ball being number three, like I don't even know if he should be on this list 
at all. Like I'd have. No, he's he'll be good. He'll maybe, be good. But maybe like ninth or tenth. Like I wouldn't put him even above Bam at this point. Right. I mean, Bam was on a finals team. Right. But he ends up number three over all these guys, and uh, this certainly did not sit well with Stephen A. Smith. And whenever Stephen A. goes on a rant, we we love uh, to give that to you. And Stephen A. Uh, was so irritated by this that he demanded um, policy changes uh, in the uh, hiring and treatment of employees at ESPN. Love LaMelo Ball. But see, this is stuff like this that diminishes the credibility of ESPN. Okay? This is the list. This is our list, right? Am I am, am I correct about this? I believe it's our list. Yes, it is. Let me tell yes, you something right ESPN. now. ESPN.com. What the hell? I mean, ESPN needs to drug test anybody that has something to do with this list. Makes no sense. Devin Booker is not it, it, LaMelo Ball before Devin Booker? Really? LaMelo Ball before Donovan Mitchell? Really? The LaMelo Ball before Jason Tatum? Really? I mean, what, what, what the hell is going on? Okay? I, I, I believe that ESPN should call security right now and go to whoever put this list together on ESPN.com. Summon all, line them up. Line them up and test every one of them. Every one of them. Somebody's oh somebody's God. out of it. Somebody's out of it. Uh, I mean, you, you got to be kidding me. I agree with him. I mean, it, it is a terrible list. Uh, but Stephen A. demanding uh, immediate drug tests for whoever put that list together. Uh, so uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Now, Mike, uh, you're not a big Masters guy, so I don't even know uh, if I should ask you now if you're not a golf guy at all. But... All right, have you picked out a couple golfers you're looking at this weekend? I'll give you a couple of my picks. I'm prepared, yeah. All right. I I, I, I kind of like that. There you go. Um, Jim Nance. There you go. Yes. Now, Jim Nance really uh, has to dial it back. He goes from March Madness to the Masters. Well, the Super Bowl. Right. And this is what he's better suited for here. Uh, you know, Jim Nance is not really a football guy. He is. Uh, I don't know. I'm not, not a big fan. But um, if you're looking for some picks here, if, you, if you're really looking to win, um, I would look at Justin Thomas and John Rahm, uh, plus 1,100, plus 1,200. If you want to go with a little more of a uh, long shot, I actually like this guy, Victor Hovland, at plus 3,500. I was going to mention him. Yeah, you, you heard that guy called Jody. I know you did. Well, I've been taking his calls yeah. for like nine months now. Okay. Uh, Shout out to David <laughs> what, in uh, Chestnut Hill. He's all, he's a constant Victor Hovland caller? Yeah. A Victor Hovland stand? You, you can call him by his name, so I'm calling him that guy that called Jody. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't know uh, what his name was. All right, what are your picks? Uh, <laughs> Victor. Um, Not a long bed there for the Masters. Uh, yeah, it's out already. Yeah. Um, I, I think Dustin Johnson could repeat, so I, I would take him. Now, you know what? This is not a bad bet. Justin Rose... Is plus ten thousand. You put ten bucks on Justin Rose, you can win a thousand bucks. I might do that. Why not? You know, he's he's a an established vet. Uh, that that's pretty good value. Sure, I won't talk you out of it. Yeah. So, all right. Well, the Masters get started on Thursday, and I guess we'll. I, I'm in ten to two Thursday night. Uh, so we'll recap day one. Update, yeah. Yeah, on, on Thursday. I'm looking down the, uh, really far down the odds, and like all the familiar names that I know are showing up here, like Lee Westwood and Tommy Fleetwood. Those are like all the golf names. They're I, like the, the good old golf guys. names. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, I believe Westwood was in contention for a tournament recently, but um, disappointing there's no tie. It's always disappointing when there's no Tiger, but uh, we'll recap day one, I guess, on Thursday night. But uh, uh, thank you to Mike Angelina for producing the show tonight. Fun show. Next up, we'll talk to Al for the Overlap Show. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.